Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Occasionalist. Is Adam Chemielewski here along with the one and only Matthew Pagel. Citizen Pegs, how are we doing today, buddy? I'm doing great, man. Uh, good to be here. Good to talk with you. Ready, to, Really ready to dig into, uh, into this particular movie. Yes. Yes, I'm very excited, and we are going to be rounding out Movie May by talking about a film I'm very happy that landed on Netflix this month, Uncut Gems, the 2019 Josh and Betty. Is it Softy? Is that how you pronounce it? Uh, Softy, yeah. Okay, thank God. Okay, <laughs> Softy, <laughs> the Softy Brothers, starring none other than one of our favorite people to discuss here on the Occasionalist For Podcast, sure. Adam Sandler, who is actually, and I love this, was the topic of the very, very first Occasionalist episode that I ever participated That's in. That's correct, yeah. So it's, That's correct. We, we do kind of have this like uh, ongoing kind of almost like Protean Man Part 2 or subcategory of Protean Man with Adam Sandler. So mm-hmm. I do like that we... Um, continuously dive back into this uh, particular character and also for this episode i did have like it, it kind of got botched i had this idea for like we still did it you know because it was the whole like 24 hour movie challenge but i thought that the movie was going to drop last night on netflix so like i had this whole like fresh we watch it the day it came drops you know record the next day but um, that didn't happen. It actually dropped on Memorial Day weekend, which um, actually surprised me. I don't know how I missed that one because I've been really excited to see this movie. But um, I did watch the movie last night, so we're still kind of staying within a little bit of the grounds of the 24-hour challenge. And I, um, I'm actually, I think it's going to be something cool to kind of do something that uh, I wrote an outline for that didn't really have a point of reference on. And it's going to be the closest thing to a free-form discussion I think we're going to be uh, seeing mm-hmm. here on the Occasionalist Podcast for sure. For sure. <laughs> but uh, before we do... Um, um, take a dive into everything. Uh, I did want to bring back the five good minutes. So why don't you uh, start it off with uh, your segment for sure? All right. Um, I don't think this will take five minutes, but uh, we shall see here. Um, I'm actually I'm actually going to go back and reference um, a, a mistake that was made in our podcast on the raid and the raid two. Um, and it's it's a it's a little uh, slip of the tongue, or as Greg called it, like a stoner moment. When he called the um, when he called the uh, the movie the Donnie Yen movie Ip Man, he called it IP Man, and you and I both immediately dragged him and talked about like intellectual property man, this like this like karate yep. uh, this karate lawyer basically that uh, that that fights for the rights of yeah. like of uh, of various artists, and it has to be created right. What's that? Did somebody think of that? No, 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 no. As, as oh, believe okay. me, I. This, like I, I, I immediately like the next day I did like a Google search. I'm like, I wonder if this is a thing somewhere. And as far as I can tell, IP man is not a thing. But what if it was a mm-hmm. thing? And yep. the last the last couple of weeks I've been like stewing on IP man and exactly how it worked. And so like I was thinking, I'm like, all right, so is he like just? Is it like? Is it sort of like um like a? I'm trying to think of um I can't remember. There's a. There's another cartoon that used to be like on Adult Swim or maybe Cartoon Network. Oh, Harvey Birdman. Thank you, Harvey Birdman. Yeah, is it going to be like a Harvey Birdman situation where like, like where it's he's kind of both things at the same time, but I think it I think it works better when it is he is sort of like a superhero, where mm-hmm. it's like he is an IP lawyer by day, he is the IP man by day, um, fighting for the the rights of like independent artists, smaller artists, you know the the actual songwriters stuff like that. Um, you know, against, against the, against like the big, the big music conglomerates against the bigger artists who routinely, and believe me, this is, this could be an entire podcast on its own. Musicians steal each other's music all the fucking time. I don't know exactly what you can realistically do about it, but 
you know, some every now and then someone does get um, does get dinged um, for lifting an artist's work. I think Katy Perry is like one of the most recent big um, big names that got um, that's going to end up getting fined for um, um, for you know in a, for stealing someone else's intellectual property. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, it, it's it's such a with music especially it is a very very this is like all gray area so i i'm imagining this particular but i'm imagining this is a cartoon sort of in the style of have you ever seen that short movie kung fury i know exactly what you're talking about and i watched it i've watched it recently within the last six months i'm imagining like a cartoon that's sort of like in in the style of kung fury um, so like we, so like you'd open like a, like a sort of like a half, a half hour, you know, or 20, you know, 22 minutes, um, you know, comedy cartoon basically. So you'd open with the IP man by day, like actually in the courtroom, um, uh, you know, fighting the, you know, on, on behalf of some like folk musician or whatever, fighting like mm-hmm. these exaggerated versions of like pop stars. So like, yeah. instead of like Bruno Mars, you'd have someone like named like Benny Pluto and he's yeah. like way over the top. Like, like way, way over the top. I'm um, sitting yeah. there kind of like, a, they're all like mustache twirling villains. And he inevitably loses each one of these like court cases, which forces him to like, by night, take on the role of IP man. And it like turns into like, to these like brutal, like Kung Fury style street fights with these various musicians, um, cor- you know, corporate suits who are representing the musicians, um, you know, big time directors who are taking... Uh, lifting things from smaller movies and stuff. Basically, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm picturing this like this ongoing saga of like it, it, this feels like an Adult Swim cartoon, right? Um, right. This ongoing saga of 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 the of this like weird. I I still haven't figured out exactly what the what the superhero version should look like, but like, mm-hmm. but like just a regular guy. Probably you'd probably have it like basically be two different people, if you will. Like he does like doesn't look anything like the the lawyer version. Maybe he's actually like a. Some like almost like a Hulk situation where he turns into the IP man. Um, yeah, I yep. Yeah, and and then like it just culminates with like these musicians just being murdered brutally by IP man, and then like he can go back to his clients like the next day and like good news, um, you know, I lost even though I lost in court. Turns out Benny Pluto died last night, um, and like that's how he keeps and that's how he keeps the uh, the intellectual property intact for these smaller artists. Okay, so I'm right now, I'm going to forego, I'm putting my five good minutes into yours, because <laughs> I did have something else that I was going to talk about, which I could probably burn through in 30 seconds, but um, you right now uh, have been describing something that I have been going through for the ex- for the exact same time period, ever since we discussed this too. I <laughs> cannot get the idea of intellectual property, man, out of my head. I just can't, I, I can't do it, okay? Like, it's been stuck with me. And I have been in a little bit of a development thing for sure on this. Like, like we're, we're thinking basically like the same thing. You you have a little bit more detailed and stuff like that. And you're definitely hitting on some of the specifics that I don't even know if I would have hit on. So if I do ever put this in, I mean, you're going to have to get credit in some way, shape or form, because I'm trying to work this into a uh, into somewhat of a producible idea here. Believe me, I, mm. I have not turned my back on the thought of intellectual property, man. And <laughs> You and I are hitting on some of the exact same kind of things where it is definitely like an intellectual property lawyer by day and it's a kung fu master kind of hero guy at night and everything. And the situations and everything were going to be – I get you probably filled in some gaps there. So like um, like with the whole like specifics and this Benny Pluto and stuff like that is really, really good stuff. So – 
Uh, yeah, so I think right now, I think you and I are technically officially collaborating on something. <laughs> I think so. I think I think I think we are the um, I think we are the co-creators of of IP Man at this point. I think so. I I totally believe so, and I I'm agreeing with you wholeheartedly on this. Um, I am trying to put something into uh, motion right now. Uh, we we are working with like this um, production company and everything like that. That's. Um, we're going to be starting up things hopefully whenever um, things get a little bit more back to normal here in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. But yes, you and I 100% have been thinking about the the same thing for the last two weeks. I've been mulling over this. I've been thinking about different people that I could actually see as intellectual property man. And for some reason, like the first person that comes into my mind is, um, I don't know his name, but you've seen the dark Knight. So Mm -hmm. the guy who is the, the Asian banker guy in the dark in the dark night like um he's the one that batman goes to hong kong to kidnap and everything yeah i can't um, go ahead wow yeah. something like that maybe lao is his name i think lao is a movie but i don't remember the actor's name yes yeah that's the person that i see as intellectual property man for some reason <laughs> like that's just this guy who just like this little kind of more reserved a little bit older and he's got the briefcase and he's wearing a, like you know a suit that's not as nice as it could be and everything and he's walking in trying to defend people and then as soon as it's over with you know he puts on a costume or something and goes out and fights crime so right right yeah wow so yeah you and i've been um man I'm very happy to hear that. That makes me so happy, dude. That, it was because really it, like, it was such a fucking stupid mistake that yeah. like it just it really stuck out from that episode, which is one of my favorite episodes that we've done. Um, but like it really like stuck out of my head. And the actor, by the way, is Ni Chin Han, um, played okay. uh, played Lao. Um, okay. And I can I can definitely see it. Um, if if we were doing more live action, I, I kind of see. Man, boy. That's a pretty decent choice, because um, he does, especially like, especially for the lawyery part. He just mm-hmm. he he always kind of plays like a suited, um, a suited villain or just like a kind of a suited uh, suited bag. I mean, not a total villain, but you know, a suited uh, antagonist. Um, I could also, um, I, I think I could also see um, Terry Chen, who often okay. plays um, often plays a lot a lot of bad guys that are sort of also plays suited bad guys. But he does some mm-hmm. physical stuff too, so I could actually see it being Terry Chen as well. Okay, yeah, dude, something's happening here. We're st- ideas are starting to cook; they're starting to flow. I'm loving this. I really am. I really am. And like, so what I was what I was going to say, what I can work down into thirty seconds. Um, we, I took a drive. Uh, Jess and I were trying to find stuff to do um, the last couple of days. Driving places has kind of been the only thing we've been able to really do. We took a drive to the desert to see the Kill Bill Church, like where they shot that scene and everything. Mm-hmm. Just just one little small building in the middle of the desert, dude. It's got to be – there's probably 150 structures total for miles like around this thing. And it was this really fucking awesome, just cool like little remote location. We took a couple pictures. We were asked to leave after a couple minutes because they were actually holding some kind of like um, service or something like mm-hmm. that, some kind of memorial for people. Uh, we didn't get to go inside. We could see inside. It looked exactly like how it did in the movie. Um, and the one thing I did want to mention is that – Ever since moving out to California, I have completely understood exactly how remote some of these locations are. Mm-hmm. Like, there's there's something about the movies that, like, when they say, hey, there's not a gas station around for miles, like, I don't know. It's just that phrase doesn't really do enough for me. But after going to a couple of these places and after driving through the desert and kind of seeing, like, what movie remote locations would be, dude, these things are fucking remote, man. Like, we're, we're talking – 
it's just like nothing that I've seen before in Ohio. Like, of course, like there's areas of Ohio where there's a lot of farmland and everything, but dude, it's just, it's just not like this. Like there's not stuff around for like 15, 20 miles of like nothing. And it's not farms. It's just land. It's just desert. <laughs> so, so the other thing, just to wrap this up really quick is that uh, this church, and this should give everybody a, an idea of how big uh, Los Angeles is this, the, the County anyway, this church is 60 to 70 miles from our place. It took over an hour to get there. And we are still in Los Angeles County. And L.A. County has got 77 miles of actual coastline. And so just imagine like Westlake or Avon Lake to Toledo. That is all one county. And it's and that's still not even as big as it is. So just to give everybody a little perspective as to how big Los Angeles is and county for county wide. It's massive, dude. And some of these locations are re fucking boats. Oh, dude, it's people don't have it like I, I I think because of, you know, where we're from, you know, driving across the county, driving across Summit County takes like 20 minutes tops, um, mm-hmm. you know, depending on, depending on like where you're coming from, top to bottom a little bit longer, but um, like, like San Bernardino County is like half the state of Ohio. Dude, San Bernardino County is massive. It's That's the largest county. The of Ohio. Yeah. Yeah. It's the largest county in California. And like when you get to so LA and San Bernardino County touch each other and when once you cross over to the San Bernardino County line, you are not out of San Bernardino County until you hit the Nevada, Nevada border. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's just it's crazy fucking massive how big uh, some of these things are out here. So I just I had to put that out there. I've been learning a lot about the movies and Hollywood and all the stuff since I've been out here, and that is a nice way to transition into our discussion today of uncut gems. So, okay, so I just have a couple of. Um, we're going to start off here in what I just labeled as the pre-Uncut Gems discussion. And I just wanted to ask you outright, have you ever seen any of the other softy films, short films, music videos? Uh, if so, what have you seen? What are your thoughts on it? Uh, nothing. I, I am a, I am a <clears throat> softy Brothers, uh, softy brothers uh, newbie uh, to this okay. point. So this is the first thing I've ever seen from them. Okay. I was a Softy Brothers newbie until about two or three weeks ago. Um, I watched this movie called Good Time because uh, being that uh, Robert Pattinson is going to be the new Batman, I have been on a massive Robert Pattinson kick. (laughs) Uh, I watched Cosmopolis. I've watched The Lighthouse. um, I've watched this movie Good Time. I'm just trying to see exactly what the non-Twilight Robert Pattinson Mm -hmm. is like and I'm telling you, bro, I am very, very, very impressed. So this movie, Good Time, um, basically Pattinson is the the star. He's in pretty much the whole goddamn movie. There's not too many people in the movie, like um, Benny Softy, one of the directors. I I was going to say, I think Benny Softy's in it for sure. He's in it, yeah. There's not really a lot of other recognizable faces that I can remember off the top of my head. But the movie's based. Oh, um, but the, basically, the movie is about a uh, bank robbery gone wrong, and it's kind of like a Will Pattinson get his brother and will they escape kind of thing. And dude, I really, really enjoyed this movie. It was definitely like in the same kind of vein as Uncut Gems uh, when we're talking like suspense and the thrill and kind of like raising the blood level a little bit. I, I really enjoyed Good Time. So other than that. That is the only Softy Brothers thing that I that I've watched. They got music videos. They haven't done too many movies. I think there's maybe three total movies that they've done. Mm-hmm. But there's some short films and other music videos that they've done as well. None of which I have uh, I have seen. So, when you first saw the Uncut Gems trailer, was there anything 
beyond Adam Sandler being in a serious role that intrigued you about this movie? You know, it's funny because um, I saw the trailer for the first time today. Oh, really? Okay, gotcha. I don't, I don't like. I mean, I think I've seen it like in the background, like in commercials and stuff, but I never really sat down and watched it. Um, Okay, I gotcha. Like, I I got enough buzz and I got enough interest in buzz just from reading some art. I think when when, this premiered at Telluride, perchance was that the film festival it premiered at. Oh, it premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival, TIFF. Okay, I thought it was Telluride, but... Um, oh, okay, I, I read an interview with them, them from the Toronto one. I thought it was that film. You could easily be right, dude. I, uh, I, I don't well, know. From whatever, from whatever, it was during the festival season, and like I got enough buzz from certain writers and things that I follow on, on Twitter and, and Instagram at that point in time talking about it. Um, so, like, I it wasn't, like, for whatever reason, I just... I, 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 maybe it's... I, I don't know, I... I I'm sort of like over certain trailers and I think it's, I think it's because of Marvel releasing 15 trailers <laughs> six years in advance for movies that they barely shot. Um, yeah. like I, it's like, I'm just oversaturated. So I don't really watch them as much as I used to. So I really, I, gotcha. I, I was curious. Like, I was like, Oh shit. I just realized like I've never seen the trailer for this. So I, <laughs> so I went and found like the first, like the main, the main trailer and just, you know, it, it's not so much like we've seen, um, you know, we've seen Kevin, uh, Kevin, we've seen Adam Sandler, obviously, in um, in serious roles before. But like the, the just you could tell by the look of the by the look of the, the by his physical look and by the, the feel of the trailer that it was going to be yet something a little bit different than we've seen even from Adam Sandler's serious side. Yeah, exactly, dude. And I um okay, that I had no idea that you had missed out on the trailer. And dude, believe me, I completely understand what you're saying about this trailer saturation and stuff. It's ridiculous. ridiculous. I don't watch any I don't watch anywhere near as many of them as I used to and everything. And there's there's just so fucking many of them. It's you're you're so right on that, dude. And I did manage to see this when it first came out. And I'll be honest with you, like the whole Adam Sandler in a serious role thing, like that's that is a big, big part of why sure. I have any interest in seeing this movie. But aside from his involvement in the project, um, I did think that the trailer was really fucking intense. And that is kind of like this term that I'm going to be using a lot throughout the course of this episode is intensity. And there was something about it that just was like really like got me hooked, got the blood going and everything like that. And for a subject matter of the film, that wasn't some like, massive display of cgi nature taking back the planet or like these epic medieval style battles like i thought this story of like sports betting gone wrong this seemed to be different like i don't think i had ever seen anything about like gambling like at least in this way like we've seen the down and out gambler we've seen the piece of shit character before but there was something about that that or about this particular trailer that i thought was it was presented differently and I kind of appreciated that. And it's, it definitely piqued my, um, piqued my interest in everything. And, um, so I do say also that, uh, this trailer, I do think as a trailer, this is a really, really good trailer. Um, I do think that this movie based on the trailer, if it, it could have been anybody in the trailer. Okay. Like it could have been like, it could have been Buscemi as Howard Radner in the trailer. And I think the trailer was so good, no matter what I would have had my interest peaked, but after seeing the movie, this character is 100% Adam Sandler, and um, we'll talk about that a little bit later mm-hmm. on. But I, I did, I did really enjoy the trailer uh, very much. However, I didn't go to the theater, and um, I guess, like, just to ask you really quickly, like, is there any reason you didn't check this out in the theater? Like, just 
I, I just put this question in here. I just had something to say about it. But uh, is there any reason you didn't go to the theater to see it? Um, this isn't, you know, the, to me, this isn't like a movie that like needs a movie theater that necessitates a movie theater. Um, you know, like uh, it sounds like that movie uh, that Nolan's new movie Tenet is going to be in the theaters, regardless mm-hmm. of of any um, government requirements about how many people can be in it. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm going to try to see it however I can, um, because that's a movie that. Christopher Nolan makes movies that need to be seen in movie theaters. And yeah, of course, judging based on this movie and what you're describing from, uh, you know, from a good time from the other softy brothers movie, it doesn't sound like they make movies that need to be seen in movie theaters. Dude, that's a good way to put it for sure. I, I'll be at tenant all the way. Like Christopher Nolan movies deserve to be seen in the theater. And I have a little bit different of a reason for me personally, not seeing this. And I got to tell you, man, number one, Movie theater tickets in L.A., especially when you go like date night when Jess and I would go, I would probably take her to something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're on the expensive side. And I'm not going to drop what is going to end up being like $40, $40 plus for two movie tickets. I wasn't ready to take that chance on Adam Sandler. You know, like, yeah, yeah. We, I'll, I'll go see Aquaman 2 or I'll go see <laughs> I'll go see Batman vs. Superman 2 any day of the week in the theater and assume that same risk. But with Adam Sandler, I just wasn't ready for it, dude. Like, I had this feeling that, like, man, if this movie was going to be bad, like, I I just had this feeling I was going to be disappointed. I thought maybe, just maybe, some of these critics had kind of, like, early shot their wad. They're like, oh, Sandler's, like, he's serious again. This is the greatest movie ever. So I just wasn't ready to make the financial commitment. And, dude, on top of, like, the movie dollar, the the dollar spent on the movie tickets – it's you got to buy popcorn, you got to buy drinks. Of course, the movie is not going to be the only thing we do that night. I could end up dropping probably somewhere like into a hundred, 150 bucks easily. That is the start that is started by or initiated by seeing an Adam Sandler movie. And I don't know if I'm ready to make that financial commitment to, uh, to Adam Sandler, but I will say that if, um, Going back, if I could have saw this movie at like a cheap matinee in the theater, I think I would have done it, even though it doesn't necessarily need to be seen in the theater. Yeah, now knowing yeah. what was there, I definitely, I definitely would have, uh, would have done that for sure. Oh, this, this, this would have been if I was, if this movie came out when I was in college. There's, um, there's a theater in the we call it the small, it's the small mm-hmm. mall in Bowling Green. Um, yeah, you can call it a mall. There's like six stores in it, um, in a movie theater. And on Sundays, like a Sunday matinee was like with for like a new movie, a Sunday matinee was like four dollars. That that would have been this for sure would have been a Sunday matinee hangover movie for us. Oh, of course, dude. Especially like in college, like when yeah. you know we were having that height of our Sandler, our Sandler like romance. You know where everybody's drinking beers and adjusting the tone in their voice to talk like Adam Sandler. Yep. Like yeah, this yep. would have been the perfect Sunday hangover movie for sure. Mm-hmm. So what's um. What are two things that you expected going into this movie? Uh, so I, I fully expected, uh, just from stuff that I'd read, shitty Sandler, you know, dealing with shitty people. I don't mean shitty, like, bad acting. I mean yeah. Sandler portraying someone shitty dealing with other shitty people. Um, mm-hmm. And I was expecting, I was expecting, and I'll get more into it, and pleasantly surprised by the amount and the way that Kevin Garnett was used. Oh, I have a lot to say about KG too. I put a specific question in here about KG um, yeah. as well. So, um, which will probably just end up working into your uh, discussion. But okay. yeah, I love the 
big big time fan of that. I can't wait to hear what you have to say. My two expectations were um I I kind of expected immediately somewhat of a solid performance from Adam Sandler. And I even will say this to tack on to that is that if this movie if I would have thought this movie at the end was a bad movie, it would have not have been because of Adam Sandler. I would have thought other elements in the movie would have made this bad. So I kind of expected him to be the anchor, like the core, the um the main driving force of the movie mm. in a positive way. And then the uh, the second thing, um I've heard the intensity and kind of on the edge of your seat is like a little bit of like a signature um softy brothers like you know kind of trait in their movies um and i I heard this long before i even saw good time and it is very very true in good time so i did expect a certain level of like being on your um on your seat and we'll we'll address these expectations at the end of the uh, podcast so as we get into the um, main discussion, I just wanted to set up a little um, a little bit of a setup here. And so prior to watching the movie on Netflix, did you have any knowledge whatsoever about what happens in the movie, twist, the ending, anything? Uh, I really didn't. And because like I knew we were going to do this 24-hour challenge uh, thing, I also, like this week, stayed away from reading anything about it that I, that I hadn't already read. Um, like okay. I, didn't, you know, I didn't go into IMDb and like look up the trivia or anything like that. Um, I wanted to yeah. stay like as fresh as possible, uh, or you know, as new as possible. I wanted this movie to remain as new as possible to me. Um, but like, basically, really, all that I knew was just sort of like the, um, you know, like a, a, a scummy jeweler, you know, trying mm-hmm. to, um, I, I guess, like a scummy jeweler trying to maintain or gain more legitimacy in his world, and that's like about yeah. it. Okay, gotcha. I'm in the same boat. I have a very, very limited knowledge of the movie. I have. Uh, jewelry. I have Adam Sandler, Lakeith Stanfield, Kevin Garnett, and shady stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing, this one kind of snuck in there at the last minute. I, I saw a meme. Um, it was one. I think it was like ESPN or something put a meme out there that on this day in history in 2012, and it was a couple days ago. So like whatever, May 27th right. or 28th, right. 2012. Howard Radner wins 1.2 million dollars mm-hmm. betting on the Celtics versus six. So I saw that meme. Um, so at one point in time, I knew he was going to win money. I actually thought that that was in the beginning of the movie, which we'll get into like at some point in time. But um, I had very, very limited knowledge of it as well. So yeah, it's, um, so it's that's a, very good. Yeah, it's a. Um, by the way, I, just real quick, it's I'm surprised that that like triple parlay only paid out like 1.2 million dollars on 155 thousand dollars. Aren't you like that seems like a pretty like I don't know like you should be getting more money on a bet like that and especially with the uh, like things like the opening tip off being a part of the, the being number one the first thing you'd have to win in the parlay yeah I would think that that is definitely worth more and it, I don't know like there is something about um, I would think that he would if he would have bet uh, like one hundred fifty thousand dollars just on the game that he should have got a million dollars out of that. Like the parlay should have increased that way, way more and stuff. Way yeah, more. But anyway, but anyway, that could, again, that could just be, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I'm not like some like hardcore gambler. So like, I'm not going to, I mean, like I know what like a vig is and I, and I understand like how parlays work, but like, you know, I'm mm-hmm. not like, I'm not so hardcore that I can like rattle yeah. off exactly how that should pay out. But it just seemed like it was a little bit too small. I, I agree with you, and I cannot. I, I don't know any of that shit, dude. If you were to tell me what five to one odds means, even something as simple as that, 
I'll, I I kind of know what you're talking about, but I don't really know like the specifics of the dollar amounts or any or anything right. like that. So, okay, we're going to get into a couple. We felt we should do this like via some categories. So I had um, broken them down into story elements, um, the characters minus Adam Sandler, filming and technical stuff, and then we're going to round out the discussion with um, talking about the man himself, Adam Sandler. So the first section here is the story elements, and I uh, thought these could be things like the setting, plot twist, a certain scene, the ending, just you know, basically stuff having to, to do with the story. So um, before we get into what I called the pick six, so greatly appropriate. Uh, titled by myself um i just wanted to ask you like a clear uh do you think that uncut gems had a a very clear like understandable story yeah i I think it was um i I think it was pretty clear once once we get about um about like 20 minutes into the movie um Mm -hmm. when we first get um his um uh, you know the collectors the deck collectors i think it's about 20 minutes in it becomes very clear what this movie is about that it's not just about Adam Sandler trying to like make you know gain legitimacy. I mean that it is in part, but it's about someone who is clearly a gambling addict. Um, of course, and and is teetering on the edge of a bit you know teetering on the edge of of uh, you know a business that is extremely demanding in a very particular way. Um, mm-hmm. While while trying to while trying to you know obviously obviously gamble and and you know and make that I, I should say like trying to trying to be a winner in like multiple multiple kind of shady realms if you will um yeah i gotcha yeah so i think like once we got 20 minutes into the movie i was kind of like okay this now i know what's now i know what to expect because Mm -hmm. as we said before like i I really wasn't totally clear on like exactly what was happening but i think the story is pretty clear-cut it's not there aren't a lot of twists and turns it's not like super complex you're you're, Mm -hmm. once you know what the story is we're just gonna like wind it up and let it go Definitely. The 20 minute mark, I think, is a good mark. I I was doing a little bit of some tracking in the beginning of the movie when it came to the time. And once we get out of the awesome psychedelic visual stuff and through Adam Sandler's colon and into the real world, um, you're at about 12 minutes into the movie where you really get a grasp of some of the like the money stuff that like some of the shady stuff and everything like that 12 minutes in is like you find out that he's a hundred thousand dollars in debt that there's a lot of gambling and then by the time you get to 20 minutes you've met gary the other like the the bookie that's the only guy who's willing to like take his money and stuff uh you also get a touch of the family in there in the 20 minute mark and i think once you get by the family that's when like the full plate is set like you're, you're kind of aware of every single thing that you need to know even including the characters you've met just about everybody just that about you're going to yeah. meet yeah maybe with the exception of like flawless who you kind of meet briefly and with the club scene mm-hmm. and the weekend too but like for the most part the central cast everybody's introduced in the first 20 minutes um i didn't think that there were any like a lot of like I said a lot of intensity, but nothing really too complex. Everything was as straightforward as it could possibly be for this type of movie. And then also, um, I did feel that the uh, the core cast was was like surprisingly small, and they got a lot out of the the core cast, like mm-hmm. in being so limited. And then Adam Sandler, I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but. I believe he's in like 90% of the movie. There may only be one or two, maybe five at the way most five scenes that don't actually have him in it. And I think when you have 
the main character on camera for that long. It's just like watching Joker. It's there's not a lot of distractions. You're able to focus. You're able to basically put all your chips in on one guy. And if you like it, it's great. And if you don't like it, you know, I mean, right. I'm, I'm sorry, but uh, I do feel that when you you're you're basically narrowing the the focus and cutting out all the distractions, it makes the movie a lot more easy to understand. Like I I would probably say that a lot of people could summarize Joker in less than three sentences and give a pretty accurate description as somebody could do with this movie. Yeah, no, I think I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here like literally counting out the scenes in my head um, that don't include, uh, that don't include Adam Sandler's Howie um, for sure. Like there's the one scene of the Mohegan sun where he sends two mm-hmm. scenes of the Mohegan sun uh, where Julia is uh, one where yeah. she's talking with the, with the one gambler at the, at the sports book. And then she's up in yeah. the up in the penthouse with uh, with Wayne Diamond, um, mm-hmm. oh man. Otherwise, and in the, the beginning, her with obviously. the week. Yeah, maybe her with the weekend. Her with the weekend. Like, would, yeah, and then, yeah, and then uh, the very beginning where we're in Ethiopia. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, a very limited amount of scenes without without him in it, which was great. And for just. A, briefly sprinkle on this for as good as he was and as much as i liked him that's where i want him to be i want the protagonist to be front and center Mm -hmm. on a Mm -hmm. uh, on a movie like this okay so now we're going to dive into the pick six and i was thinking about different sports themes to call these categories didn't really follow through with that but the pick six was uh, the first one and um (laughs) this is basically we're going to take six things this you could have a combination could be any combination of things you like that you didn't like and um if you liked it you know just let us know what you liked about it and how it complemented the story. And for the story elements you didn't like, you know, let us know what about, let us know what you didn't like and also what changes you would make to this particular story element. So I'm going to let you uh, lead it off and we'll go back and forth on this one. So um, just start off with your first one and let's take a stroll. Yeah. uh, I'm going to, I'll start off with something that I really liked. Um, And this is, this is going to speak to something that that we're, that, I think we're going to get, we're going to touch on a lot at the end here, but I liked that the, the story was contained uh, basically over a weekend. Um, it gives it, it, you know, obviously we talked, we've talked before, like there's sort of like a ticking clock element. There's, there's a timing element, you know, how he has until Monday night um, basically to, uh, to make uh, Arno whole, um, you know, for his, what is a hundred thousand dollars or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's when he has, so like there's a ticking clock on it and it also like does ratchet up that sort of intensity and urgency for everything that he's doing. So like when, when KG doesn't show up with the rock on Mm -hmm. on Saturday morning, it like, it just feels that much more intense. Like Mm -hmm. that we, we, we know that like, and you can like you and your sitting there at home can kind of go like, Oh shit. Imagine if someone walked away with $1 million of your property (laughs) and just didn't come back when they were supposed to. Yeah, I know, man, there's, I have been robbed before. I've been robbed in every medium you could possibly imagine, like uh, face-to-face robbing, cyber robbing, house robbing, mm-hmm. everything, dude. I've been robbed so many fucking times. And let me tell you something. They captured that emotion perfectly on film of like what it's like in that like what you you need like your stuff you were trying to get it back you definitely need it it's important to you and you just have no idea you know and you're trying to like um ask somebody like he's trying to come up to uh damani and play back like he's stanfield in the club like where's the stone where's the stone and but keith is just giving them these one and two answers like i i've been there i know what mm-hmm. that is like and i thought that they captured that perfectly dude for yeah. sure how about you yeah Okay, so for me, the f- I have become over the last like six months 
a major exposition hawk. Okay, I am becoming a sucker and it's becoming an infatuation for me how stories deliver exposition. And I loved the delivering of exposition in Uncut Gems. Granted, it's nothing really too like uh, original or, or, you know, like we're not breaking any tons of new ground here, but they did this really cool kind of thing in the beginning where we talked about the first 20 minutes. You got a major info dump in the first 20 minutes. And there's a lot of different things that took place in the first 20 minutes. And then peppered throughout the course of the rest of the movie, you got resolution or a twist on various elements of the film. So take, for example, when Howard goes to Hawk, that Michael Jackson pendant, you know, he's like goes into the store. Hey, I got this thing. The weekend's going to be like this guy, blah, 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 blah. Later on down the line, we find out that that pendant was actually flawless and that he needs it back, you know, and it kind of reinforces something that was introduced earlier on in the film to, you know, supplement the fact that Howard is like a really, really shady guy. Um, Even with Arno being Howard's brother-in-law, this I thought was a really great, not only a twist, but the way that they brought this up and they delivered this expositionally was amazing. All right. Sorry about that folks. A little interruption. We had to watch SpaceX launch a a (laughs) rocket, launch people to space. So I I, kind of cut him off there, but uh, Chemok, sorry, continue with your, your point there. Oh, yeah, no problem, dude. And I, I'll, I'll just kind of wrap this whole thing up. And the way that they delivered this exposition with Arno and kind of finding out who he is, like, like I said, in the first little bit of time, it's on the phone. It's this guy he mm-hmm. owes money to. Then we get this scene where they do a beautiful rule of three, and um, you show up. We see Arno at the table. It's like, oh god, what is this guy? Mm-hmm. And then Adam Sandler follows him to the bathroom, or, or uh, Arno follows Adam to the bathroom, whatever yeah. it was. And um, then it's like, hey, we're family. And then in the next scene, you learn out learn that Arno is uh, Adam Sandler's uh, brother-in-law oh, and everything. Yeah. So, so I thought that was a really cool way that they did that exposition. Uh, the other thing too, with like um, these watches that Howard was handing off to people and stuff, like here, just take this as my payment and everything. Um, you might have to correct me on this, but if I was under the impression that those watches were fake and like him and Demandi were kind of running like a yes. fake Rolex correct. kind of scam yep. or whatever they're, and stuff like that, they were scamming people, one hundred percent. Okay, gotcha. So like, you got like resolution on that a little bit later on, even though it was introduced in uh, in the first twenty minutes and done a couple other times throughout the movie. Uh, then the other thing that uh, two other things that I noticed was um, Gary. You know, you meet this guy. All of a sudden, he's got a connection to Arno, which then squashes that that big bed and everything that gets the uh, carries from the first act into mm-hmm. the second act. And then the uh, the other thing that I noticed that I thought was a cool little piece of exposition was in the beginning when you're meeting his family, you know that him and India Menzel have some kind of like issue going on, but they don't ever really like address it. You know, they're kind of like getting ready to announce something. And then later on down the road, when he makes the plea for them to stay together, you learn that they were going to be separated and stuff like that. They were just kind of postponing this separation and stuff. Mm. So I, I was a big fan of it. I thought it was this cool, like not necessarily tying up all loose ends. Cause I, I think there are some mm-hmm. like couple loose ends in this movie, but um, it was this really just kind of awesome way I thought to deliver exposition and also reveal some twists and kind of add weight to these elements that they introduced early on in the story. So what is your, uh, what, your second one um i i really liked um i really liked how they they sort of made it seem like the this black opal was sort of mystical just like just like a little bit 
you know, just like mm-hmm. a little bit. Like when we think about yep. when, um, you know, the, the opening scene, right? When um, the, the miner that presumably found um, that presumably found this opal, this, this humongous opal and then fell and, and you know, bro- badly broke his leg. Um, mm-hmm. It's sort of like a you get a little bit of un- you get a little bit of suggested magic that like this thing is going to cause problems. Yep. Or whomever has it in their possession. Yep. Or gotcha. maybe you know, or or there's like something just a little bit more to it, and then obviously we get that shot, like the the uh, microphotography shot, as, as we like zoom through, uh, you know, the the layers of the of the opal at the beginning and the ending, um, that kind mm-hmm. of make it feel like it's bigger than you know, bigger than 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 life. It, like it, you know, we, even when um, Adam Sandler's talking with Kevin Garnett about the opal, about how like, you can see the universe in it, like the dinosaurs looked at this thing. This thing's 150 million years old. Like, you know, Kevin Garnett can see, like, the you know, feels the power of it. And actually, like, you get that, like, sort of flash of, like, a lot of things going through Kevin Garnett's mind. Um, so, like, it, it has this sort of, like, without being, like, overtly supernatural, it has some, like, supernatural qualities to it. And mm-hmm. it, it seems like, and this is probably, the, you know, this is obviously very, very, very intentional. The only ones that are enchanted by it are Howie and KG. Right, yeah. like everyone else realizes, like this is just a cash cow. Let's fucking, you know, how do we? What's what's the best? What's the best thing that we can do with this? You know, obviously is to sell it to auction it, like whatever. But to KG and Howie, it is like something even more. It's it's a totem that represents more than just money. Dude, okay, I'm glad that you brought up something with the stone, and I'm going to respond to that by basically telling you what was on my list in the pick six for the stone. Because I agree with you. I love this like supernatural kind of thing that this this rock and not to mention this movie called Uncut Gems. I you know I thought just it would be a reference to the jewelry industry, right, but right. no, there's actually an uncut, uncut gem, gem. Yeah, literally, that literally is, is the center fucking focus of the movie. And like, um, I immediately went to the briefcase in Pulp Fiction. That was right away the first comparison that sure. I can make, which was actually, and I, I didn't know this until uh, last week when I was talking to uh, my one friend that the inspiration for the briefcase came from this movie called kiss me deadly. That was a 1955 kind of film noir directed by Robert Aldridge that also featured like the glowing briefcase that captivated everybody's attention. And I think uncut gems took what Tarantino was doing would like maybe like what Tarantino wanted to do with the briefcase and expanded upon Mm -hmm. it a little bit farther because as for as for as significant a plot element as the briefcase is in Pulp Fiction, it's technically the MacGuffin yeah. as the the stone is in Uncut Gems. The, the stone is the MacGuffin of the film. Mm-hmm. But I think that Uncut Gems added way more depth to this MacGuffin than what Pulp Fiction did. And sure. I just kind yes. of think it's like if you are going to do a MacGuffin in a movie, take basically like it's almost like an evolution. There's Kiss Me Deadly. Pulp Fiction and then Uncut Gems, I feel, is how you really do like this kind of supernatural attention commanding. Maybe there's powers to it kind of MacGuffin that um, we do see in movies every now and then. So mm-hmm. I am um, I, I love that you brought that up. And I'm actually I'm going to go into one more quick thing while we're here on yeah, the rock. Um, one of the things that I did like about the um, the stone on top of the supernatural element, one of the big and I thought one of the greatest plot twists in this whole um, movie that wasn't predictable like when i look back on the movie um there's definitely some things that were a lot of that were definitely predictable like even like a gooey not getting outbid by kg Mm -hmm. and being stuck with the tab Mm -hmm. i knew that that was going to happen right away and i'll tell you 
even Howard dying, and not the way he died, but Howard dying, I even thought was a little bit predictable, especially when you're dealing with this like super shady character right, and stuff. Right. But the one, well, actually two twists with the gem that I did not expect were, number one, I didn't expect the supernatural um, ability, but I also didn't expect that twist where it wasn't going to be as valued for as much as they thought it was going to be valued for. Yeah. and. That's like, I don't know, that one was one that I was like, okay, this right here, that totally took me by surprise because the entire time we're under the end, the way that they set it up is this diamond mine in Ethiopia. We're under the impression that this thing is going to be worth some value. It is huge too. I mean, like that's a big ass fucking stone. And then when they reveal that the stone is not as worth as much as Howard originally thought, I thought it was cool because it shifted the movie basically to this way where the only thing that was going to get him out of the position that he was in was the thing that got him there in the first place, which is kind of like this, I don't know, classic, like maybe like storytelling, like kind of like in between the lines type thing you work in there. And once the supernatural element and all this stuff, once we kind of put that on the back burner, I thought it was really cool that the only way he was going to get out of this was via gambling, which is a story that I'm a little bit more familiar with. And I feel that, it's classic enough to the point where it hasn't gotten old for me. So a whole bunch of people watching a basketball game when your life is on the line, um, I can imagine myself in that situation. That's not unbelievable. And I thought that we would have never gotten there had the twist with this gem basically not only being worth 250,000, we would have never got that ending if it wasn't for that twist. Yeah, no. And, and it's sort of, um, it's, this is like, you could call this movie like the increasingly bad decisions of Howard Ratner. Um, yeah, <laughs> and and but it like, but it's like he gets dealt a bad hand and then makes makes the worst decision. Like mm-hmm. he could have he could have sold that rock to KG, um, you know, and then taken the hundred and sixty five thousand dollars, given his brother in law the hundred thousand that he owed him, and that would mm-hmm. be it. But because yep. he he kind of got dealt a bad hand, he felt like as which is and maybe we'll talk about this the the speech that he gives Kevin Garnett. Um, which is an excellent, excellent scene between the both of them. Um, you know, like af- after he gives him that speech, you know he's gonna do something fucking terrible. You know that, yeah. like he he lost. You know, like his, mm-hmm. you know he his valuation of that rock and his what he wanted out of it, he lost. But he yep. can he thinks in his mind he can still win. And if he doesn't get dealt yep. that loss with the rock, there's no. You know, we don't we don't get we don't get then you know the the final resolution to this movie. So you're you're right. I actually didn't see that coming either. I, I figured that there would be it would be worth a lot, and maybe there'd be I don't know. I, I kind of I still saw him dying, yeah. just not yeah. under those circumstances. Yeah, like I I thought it was going to be one of these deals where like I'll just put this out there straight up where he finds out the the rock is worth a bunch of money and gets killed somewhere around the time Correct. that he finds out the rock is worth money by the person in the room who also found out the rock was worth Correct. That's money. Exactly so, yeah. but, but that was not the case and it was all perpetuated by that initial twist. So mm. definitely. So what is your, what's another one from you? Um, let me see here. I think we've, we've, I mean, we've basically touched on most of the things that we you know, between, um, I already had to think about Howard and Arno, uh, the reveal mm-hmm. of their brother, you know, their brother-in-laws, um, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll touch on here briefly. Um, that we we kind of step into the middle of the breakup of Howie's family, like okay. we obviously we get some exposition, uh, exposition about you know, he and Adina Menzel. Um, what's her Dinah? Is that her name? Dinah. Um, Dinah. Yes. Yeah. Um, we get some exposition obviously later in the movie about you know what's happening with him and Dinah and how they're going to announce uh, 
uh, to their kids that they're that they're breaking up. But like, it's not something that we needed to see um, specifically because mm-hmm. the rest of the movie dealing with like how he goes through his life, you know, like immediately pawning um, KG's ring is like, I mean, it's, it's, it's a security kind of thing. Like it's, it's money on hand kind of thing. Um, you know, immediately pawning KG's, KG's ring to, to go gamble. Uh, even though he's already indebted to, uh, to his brother-in-law going to see uh, a bookie Gary with, you know, going to see a bookie Gary with money that he could be paying off his brother-in-law mm-hmm. with. Like we know why his family's falling apart. Like this right. guy is a, compl- this guy's a degenerate gambling addict. He's taken up with a woman who's, you know, easily half his age. Like mm-hmm. we know why it's falling apart and we're just seeing the, you know what I mean? Like this is the why we don't need to see yeah. anything else with how, how, uh, you know, why his family's breaking apart, breaking apart. Oh, oh, of course, dude. I thought like the family stuff, um, there was no way that we weren't going to get that. Mm-hmm. And even though I, I don't necessarily think that it could have worked without the family, you know what yeah, I'm saying? Like, sure. it, but the way that they did the exposition, the way they brought us up to speed and that, and also the way that they managed the time with the family, I thought was a good balance. I thought it was really good. There, the, even that little scene where like he's at the family dinner, we get that reveal with Arno normally like if they would have like pumped the brakes on let's just say like the first raid like that where all of a sudden like hey by the way it's just you know 10 minutes of everybody hanging out smoking getting some water before the next fight Mm -hmm. it would have really messed up the flow of the raid but with uncut gems i actually thought that that scene was very very wholesome and it was cool to see him like with his family being like a normal guy you got judd hirsch in there which judd hirsch is just amazing what by the way what um, a fucking cast in this movie yeah, I know. What dude, a cast in this dude, movie. Fucking, did you know that Tilda Swinton is the yes, voice of yeah, the t- auction yeah, lady? She's, yeah, Anna or whatever, yep. Yeah, crazy stuff, man. I like For them to go casting-wise from Good Time to Uncut Gems, like that is just an incredible mm-hmm. jump, dude. They had a, which we'll, we'll get into the cast for sure, because yep. believe me, I found myself going on, to a t- going on to a little bit of a tangent there. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm in agreement with you on that. Um, I see, I just have a couple more, like just kind of quick things. I have two really quick things that I liked, and then there's one thing yeah. I didn't like, which I'm, I want to get your thoughts on. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, the first thing is, dude, I loved hearing Old School Weekend, even if it was only for like a couple of minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, it made me realize exactly how much I do like older weekend stuff. And dude, I fell off with him big time. Like anything beyond the, the beauty beyond the madness or whatever that album's called, but I can't feel my face. Mm-hmm. I just, I'm totally lost on me. The initial trilogy and kiss land that he released are absolutely amazing. So in this movie taking place in that time period, you know, made, made sense that it was like he was up and coming, that he mm-hmm. would just be playing a small NYC club. And do you know, just really quick, this is one of the questions I had extra. Do you, is there any significance as to why they said it in this time period? Do you think? Um, I was kind of wondering that too. And I wonder if, I wonder if it was by necessity for the fact that they, that they ended up snagging KG as, yeah, as, that's as a... the basketball player. Cause I, I'm sure it was left open to, you know, I'm sure it's left open to any basketball player, but because they got KG, it just mm-hmm. timeline wise made more sense to set it in 2012. Because like, it's not like it's we. I have something to say about the about um about the way this movie feels about when this movie feels like it is, but mm-hmm. it just feels it almost feels like it was out of necessity. I gotcha. Yeah. See, like I was a little, I was wondering about that too. And Jess told me that, um, Kobe was like originally looked at to be the, the athlete, like the big basketball star. So uh, Amari, Amari Stoudemire was considered too. 
Um, okay. They're, the Safis, they're both from New York. Uh, they're both big Knicks okay. fans. And I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if that's who they didn't write this part in mind for. But, like, the Knicks weren't involved in any particularly important game. They haven't been involved in important games in quite a long time, so. That's true. Yeah, that's a really good point. And that in the game, like, those, that's actual game footage. It's not like they just right. reshot Kevin Garnett playing with Sixers people. So. Right, exactly. Okay, th- th- that makes sense. And necessity, um, you know, sometimes stuff happens and you have to rework the story. And I, I almost think that, um, I, even though I did like KG, which we'll talk about, uh, any, like, basketball player with that similar situation with like the finals on the line, if they had some acting chops, it probably could work. So mm-hmm. I, that was just something that I wondered about. So great to hear early weekend again. One of my buddies actually told me a long time ago that the weekend was going to be something big. And I was like, yeah, 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 whatever. Then five years down the line, the weekend is huge. So big props to my buddy, Mike Russell, for getting on the ground floor of that whole thing. Um, the other thing that I liked was uh, we talk a lot about the use of setting where it almost is like a character mm-hmm. in the in the movie or TV show, like kind of like uh, Louisiana in the first season of True Detective and even mm-hmm. Arkansas in the, the third season. For sure. um, I thought NYC was was a character in this for sure. And even more specifically, like the jewelry district and everything like I've never seen. I've seen it in L.A. what the jewelry district looked like. And if it's and it looks very similar to the way it does in New York. So I, I thought that was a really cool, like kind of um, character that an additional non-human non-face character that they had in the movie. And then the last thing that I want to say, this is the thing I didn't like, and I'm going to try to put this man. I don't necessarily know if I, if I don't like it or if it's just the imagery is really like sticking with me because I didn't expect it, but it's the ending. Okay. And I knew that, like I said, I figured Adam Sandler was going to die. Um, I didn't necessarily figure it was going to be as violent as it was. And mm-hmm. I, granted, it is just one shot to the head. But where, what really gets me, I guess, is that there's this whole thing with film where, and even just like in general, like in real life, it's really unsettling when in the situation where I call being fed to the lions. Okay. And by the end of the movie, we are kind of coming around a little bit. Like, there's something about Adam Sandler, which I'll just save it for later. But by the end of the movie, we're starting to kind of at least like him a little bit. You know, he's got this certain thing that just makes me, like, kind of want to root for him and get this whole thing and get his life mm-hmm. together. And and then he's shot. Okay? So I could accept that. I figured the shady guy doing shady stuff, and he's a shitty person all around. Oh, yeah. He wasn't, he wasn't going to make it till the end. Okay? But then... <sighs> This bodyguard guy, not only does he like they start viciously looting the store, okay? They just start piling into the store and he's yelling and screaming. All of a sudden, then this guy decides to turn on his own boss. And it's not like I guess the thing that really gets me is like just this way, like he was just like trying to prop him up to shoot him in the fucking head and everything. And the violence, number one, they, on film, as far as like realistic violence goes, I think that they they did a really good job. And believe me, like you could critique me on blood splatter and wound sizes and all that stuff all day. But I do think that they did a pretty good realistic job of like, you know, capturing the violence. But it's like these two characters that I don't really give a shit about. They ended up being the winners in the end. Yeah. And that. I had this whole thing against like, okay, that's just the way the cookie crumbles kind of ending. And it's just kind of bugging me right now. And I wanted to just take this one step further if I could. But when it comes to the violence, when I was watching this yesterday, the, the first thing that I remembered feeling like the exact same feeling 
was the feeling I got while I was watching the Joe Pesci scene in Casino that takes place in the cornfields mm. where they beat him up and stuff. And there is just something that is just like sheer brutal when like people who have already got the upper hand, like the, all, these people are like dead. You know what I'm saying? Like both Pesci and his brother were dead. And they're still beating the shit out of them with the bats. And, to the, you know, to like, this day, yeah. Yeah, that, that thing still messes with me. <laughs> And this was like one of these things, too, where I guess it's just like the way that these people were going about it with this, like, just this violent, like, we're going to trash and ruin this fucking guy. And and what's crazy is that he was made whole. They were all made whole. Oh, yeah. You know, and so I guess that's something that I find a little bit unsettling. I'm not entirely positive as to if I could say that I don't like it or if I like it, I'm not necessarily there yet. But it's the one thing from the movie that really made an impact on me in a way that I did not expect. Like I have been seeing this image over and over again of this older hitman guy who just decided to like take, take charge. And not only does he like this guy, Arno, like basically like he's not doing anything. This guy's like an older fucking guy. He's not doing anything. Mm. And this dude, like just basically decides to overpower him. And like, there's just something about the way that that scene is executed where like Arno's trying to escape and this guy like so like nope you're not going to escape and then just like stands him up grabs him by the hair and just, like like that it's just an image that really really sticks with you you know i here's here's what i think you're feeling the ending doesn't feel like it matches the rest of the movie um okay it, especially especially where arno's concerned where arno is like pissed off about how reckless and careless that howie's being with his money with his you know like there's even like even when they're at like the family dinner you can tell that he's just like it, it's like there's a look of general disapproval of him, just mm -hmm. altogether. Like even if yeah. you didn't owe him money, it's just a general disapproval of him. Um, right. And so, so the movie is all about like, so the movie is all about Adam Sandler paying the price for his like carelessness and his um, hubris. And then at the end, we have two of Arno's men being careless and reckless. Yeah. That's right. I mean, they're on camera, yeah. murdering yeah, yeah, two yeah. people, robbing a jewelry store that they were just seen going into. That's true. That's right. That is very, very careless. Yeah, you're right. It, it, it doesn't fit. And like, I, you know, like I, I told you before, like I originally thought Howard was going to die, like in some kind of exchange with the stone. Mm -hmm. This was almost like, I don't know. It just, it took me, it threw me for a limb. And there's even like in the first Sadafi, Softy Brothers movie that I watched, Good Time, there's a similar scene where a guy falls off of a building and the way that they capture it, like it's it's almost like looking you're like looking up at the guy. So you're seeing like from the ground, like mm -hmm. this guy up on the building and he's not like on top of the building. Like he's like climbing like a ledge, like on a window and he just falls. You don't get any resolution with it. You just see this guy fall mm -hmm. and it sticks with you. Like that's one of the, that's one of the main shots from good time that I, that's still in my mind. So they had this thing with violence. I'm going to make a little bit of uh, some comments on it a little bit later, but um, there is something with the violence that they're, they're really like kind of hitting on as far as making an impact on the viewer goes. And I'm, I'm a prime example of that. And I, I got to say this really quick, but you want to talk about like, it's amazing when I look at like baseball bat beatings when compared to like Inglorious Bastards and Casino, because dude, like the Inglorious Bastards scene where it's Eli Roth hitting the guy with the bat and compared to what happens with Pesci, it's, you know, we're almost like talking about the same situation, like a guy or two guys, you know, basically meeting their maker at the hands of a baseball bat. 
but the tone of Inglorious like just seems to make that scene way more enjoyable. And I'm not like having that uneasy feeling in the middle of Inglorious in the same way that I had that uneasy feeling at the end of Casino. So I, I just had to put that out there. Something about baseball bat beatings on film. Well, because it's okay to it's okay to kill Nazis. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's okay to kill Nazis. So you're rooting for them for that yeah. guy to do it. That's right. And even yeah. and even Casino for Joe Pesci being a total like kind of piece of shit. You do kind of like him. He's funny. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? So they're, they they do a really good job of giving these people a certain level of likability that makes their death um, impactful on screen, for sure. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So um, did you have any other um, any other things in the pick six? Yeah, I did. Just a couple of things I didn't like. I, I suppose it's more one thing I wasn't very clear on and one thing I didn't okay. like. Um, so let's just start with the one thing I wasn't clear on. There's like the two older Jewish brothers who okay. he, he fences yeah. the, he uses the, the one of the fake Rolexes to try to pay him off. Um, yeah. And it's like, I was very unclear. Were they part of Arno's gang or not? Okay. I will tell you, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to answer a question later on in advance right okay. now. Those are the two people that I thought could have been removed from the film entirely and it wouldn't have made any difference right. whatsoever. That, I, their inclusion was very odd because I have no idea... We we see the one early, then we see the we see the two of them. Wait, two of them earlier, one early, one earlier than two of them later, and I, it, like I'm not like I was just yeah. like, wait a second, are these also part of Arno's crew or what's going yeah. on here? I think that the best way that I could describe them would be like they are like a cannon fodder that's meant to de- just basically supplement the atmosphere that this guy is a shady guy. Like as if we didn't get the impression enough, <laughs> they just had to throw in like one more group of people. And I, I didn't think that they were with Arno. I didn't even think that they were with Flawless. They didn't address any connection that these guys had other than he was made a bet through them at some point in time my, and now them my only other thought is were they part were they like gary's people that could have been too but that i mean like, again like I, I don't remember i don't remember gary which by the way a random fucking casting of mike francesa um as gary <laughs> like like the godfather of sports talk radio in the united states um <laughs> it's like it's just it's really random i mean like it it's a part that like i mean mike francesa looks and sounds like a fucking bookie um but it, it was it was just like a really random kind of part but that's my only other guess is that like they were like part of like Gary's crew. But again, like okay. I just, it's just something I'm not clear on at all. Yeah. I didn't get that at all. And like when we asked, when I asked you the question about who needed less camera time, that's my answer. Those okay. guys could have yeah. been out of it, wrapped it, wrapped up entirely. Exactly. So. Exactly. And then, so, um, Oh, just real quickly. And then, um, I, I, Lakeith Stanfield's part as Damani felt very tacked on. I okay. totally understand like what he's there for. And, but like, because it, and maybe this is kind of my answer for, for one later. I'll, I'll go ahead and spoil a little bit now. I think we probably needed more Lakeith Stanfield, more, more understanding the character of Damani because he just feels like a very, a very angry without, I shouldn't say without reason, but like, we're not given enough reason for why he's fucking angry at Howie all the time when he's yeah. the one who caused a lot of these problems. Yeah, I will tell you, dude, um, I'm going to kind of do a little bit of a tease thing myself because I that's the same answer that I'm going to have for that question, too. And I really like him. I fuck. I'm on the Lakeith Stanfield bandwagon all the way. And we needed so much more of him because the thing that got me is like Lakeith Stanfield to me is somebody that I'm going to try to phrase this the right way. But there are certain times when actors get put into like what is called like a stereotype. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, they get pigeonholed for certain things. Yeah. 
But Keith Stanfield is not one of those people. That guy's like, I feel that that guy is like, maybe not a groundbreaker, but that guy is like something beyond being pigeonholed into a stereotype. As, yeah. as And believe me, a lot of actors, like you, you shouldn't be treated like that. You shouldn't be pigeonholed. But there are some times where people are just basically making the living being the big ass scary dude. And there's nothing wrong with that. No, there's, I, I actually don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. But for his sake, I do think that he is like, a very very he's a top talent i really enjoy him and you took this guy who has got great acting chops and you just funneled him down into like this stock kind of it, like you know stereotypical yes. version of like what that character is supposed it's, to it's be. A, that is that is a character that could have been played by anybody yeah exactly. like, it just feels like you're wasting a little you're wasting a lot of what lakeith stanfield does on a character that just didn't have as much depth as it could have i mean we're and we're talking like just give him like another full scene to explain mm-hmm. like what's going on and what he's doing. Definitely. He would be the one character that I would have, like we could have pulled away from Adam Sandler for a couple of minutes to follow like Lakeith and KG or just even Lakeith on his own. Mm-hmm. And it would still be okay in the movie. Like yeah. everybody else that, that was around Sandler, like I feel they needed Sandler, not just like for the story, but even for like acting level and stuff like that. Like there's no way India Manzel is carrying the whole movie on her own. Um, but Lakeith could Lakeith has got that talent and it was just, you're basically like taking like a shooting star and drawing a, drawing a marker over it. You know what I'm saying? Like just eclipsing it entirely. So I, I thought he could have been used yeah. more and mm-hmm. I'll, I got something else to add on to that. Oh, when we get to that question, when, when we get to that question, I'll, I'll oh, add, okay. add something onto that For really sure. quick, but, uh, but yeah, so let's, let's go into some of the filming and technical stuff. Uh, I had to kind of throw this little category in there, you know, just like lighting, cinematography, camera work, specific mm-hmm. shots, what, you know, so forth. Um, but to lead off with this uh, category, how would you describe the Softy Brothers style of filmmaking? All right, so again, I haven't seen Good Time or any of their other stuff. Um, so just this, this is solely based on this movie, and and I mean this in like a very, I mean this in a very like appreciative way, that the Safi Brothers, as far as this movie goes, it feels like nineteen seventies stylized scum. Okay. It, it, there's there's a lot of movies from there's a lot of like kind of criminal underground movies from the seventies where everyone was like just you know the scummy bad guy. that's that's where i always feel like the scummy cops and the scummy bad guys movies kind of originated um from mm-hmm. the 1970s and this movie has the look and feel obviously without 70s clothing and, and the 70s cars rolling around in the background um yeah. it has the look and feel of a movie that's about 40 years old 45 years old um yeah. and like sort of the world that they live in and the world that they're existing in is something that just feels like it's from a different decade and mm-hmm. just the, the the just even the way they even the way they shoot it the, the tracking shots of Adam Sandler walking through New York City it feels like it's something from the seventies. Okay, I agree with you on that a hundred percent. I think you actually maybe put thoughts or kind of explain something that I was struggling to explain. And this was definitely like, you're right, man. There's something with this that made it look very seventies and take even these jewelry stores that they went into. Mm -hmm. They didn't go to like these new modern, everything is platinum looking jewelry stores. These these jewelry stores have probably been there for hundreds of years, you know, just maybe different owners or something like that. And I, even like with the way they have with the buzzing door and everything, it just seems like something that is totally from another time period. Mm-hmm. And w- which again, like accents this whole like New York city kind of being a character in the, the movie thing that For I was, sure. that I was talking about earlier and stuff. And I will say that, um, 
when compared to Good Time, which is the only other thing that I can compare it to, Uncut Gems is definitely more unique to the 70s thing than Good Time is. Good Time has got a little bit more of a modern feel to okay. it. Um, but where I feel that they are the same is that these softy brothers really know how to to milk the intensity so there's Mm -hmm. that word again Mm -hmm. and there's something about this edge of the seat suspense driven filmmaking they do a great job of like creating this atmosphere and like i feel that this atmosphere kind of like encompasses you like this movie yesterday when i was watching it and even though i was taking notes like pretty much the whole time i still felt like i was in it you know and there were even times where I remember like, you know, jolting or something like that whenever like there was a loud noise because it actually like had scared me because I was so like wrapped up in it or whatever. So I do think that they do a great job of hooking you in. And um, if there was any like tour or another director that you could compare them to, who would it be? Um, this is a tough one. I mean, well, one, because auteurs are kind of inherently incomparable. Um, I got That's kind of like the idea behind auteurism. Yeah, but, um, but very true. But they in. in Again, just based off of one movie, I've if you would have told me that this was directed by Sam Mendes, I would believe okay. you. Or even like David O. Russell, I believe you. Okay. Those I gotcha. are the those are the two that popped to mind immediately. Okay. I could David O. Russell with like his strong like he that guy knows how to write these like strong dialogue mods. Yes. yes. Dialogues. Like exactly like what Sandler gives KG at the end. Mm-hmm. Um I could definitely see Sam Mendes. There is something about the world collapsing thing that Sam Mendes does, mm-hmm. or just this whole like uh, even like the, the the suburbs kind of being evil to a certain degree because <laughs> yes, they do live true. on Lock Island, <laughs> you yep. know. Um, so I, I could definitely see th- those two for sure. The the selection that I made this is a little bit more generic. Is um, I feel I could feel different variations of Martin Scorsese in oh, their sure. work. Oh, for sure. N- not. Yeah, not like I'm not saying that the the Softy brothers are the next Scorsese, but there's something about early Scorsese in like the theme and tones and these darker inner demon kind of stories where like there's actually some depth to the character and it almost kind of feels like he's alone in the world the same way you would get in like Taxi Driver. Yes. Um, but the violence, which I do think that they're they're taking a page from Scorsese violence, mm-hmm. like when when Sandler was blown his head blown shot in the head. That reminded me of the scene in The Departed when Leo opens the elevator door and just gets his head blown off. Like it was just so, like simple onto the next thing. Like very, if there the was, violence is very sudden, very unexpected. Yeah, very, I mean, like even though it's a like in a Scorsese movie, you're expecting some degree of violence. It's still very sudden and kind of grabs you in a way you're not expecting. Yeah, exactly. Like, dude, I did not expect Leo to get blown away in the departed like the departed ending kind of took me by surprise like yes, even though sure. matt damon should have definitely expected him to die but uh so that's that's kind of like what i expected and it was just like okay one shot this guy's out then we're immediately on to the next thing there's little like attention that's paid to him and it felt like how i think scorsese like shoots like some of his going into the 90s and into the 2000s movies not necessarily 80s or 70s scorsese on the violence but definitely a more modern scorsese and also um i hope to god that these guys stick with this style because i don't want them to be like editing happy you know what i'm saying like newer scorsese became like what kind of crazy editing shots and quick cuts and all this stuff like Mm -hmm. i I just kind of want them to live in their own universe because i think they got some really good stuff um going on with them right now oh for sure and real quickly since you you for sure there's shades of scorsese in this and i wonder if i wonder if that's not just sort of a um 
if that's like sort of like now like a New York film thing that okay. you grew up, you know, these, these, the Safi brothers are from New York, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I wonder if like growing up as like a movie fan of New York, you just sort of like inherently you're soaking up Scorsese movies because he's from New York. He's made New York movies. Um, mm-hmm. obviously he's made Boston movies too, but like, he's, you know, but like, it's sort of like, yeah. I've heard before that like, um, I've heard I've heard this before that every director from Canada has a little bit of David Cronenberg in them, like okay. David, David Cronenberg's like the father of Canadian of like modern Canadian film, um, yeah. Like especially like the the tones and some of the weirdness that comes from Canadian films that like every mm-hmm. director is like paying homage a little bit. Every Canadian director is paying homage a little bit to David Cronenberg. I wonder if yeah. every New York filmmaker filmmaker is paying at least some homage to Martin Scorsese. Okay, so I'll. I'm going to shine a little the best light that I can on this because I do think that you're hitting on something. And there is something about Martin Scorsese where this guy, he's a little bit like more than a filmmaker. Now, granted, he is a flesh and blood man. You know, he's got an Academy Award. I mean, mean, he's an auteur. Yeah, yeah, definitely definitely an auteur. Yes, you bet. He, He is something more than like the art of filmmaking. And because he's so like, he's just such a New Yorker, you know, it's almost like New York is like one of like four areas in the country where you could just be such a New Yorker or such a Chicagoan or something that Mm -hmm. you not only like the city encompasses like the work that you do. So if you were to follow it almost kind of like a, like a pattern almost, or like kind of like an evolution, but just at the simplest of forms where it's like, okay, New York is, some way the inspiration that leaks into Scorsese that then leaks into like the, the softy brothers. And there is something about like that city and Martin Scorsese, where he's so important to New York film. And you could easily make arguments that Scorsese is like the godfather of modern New York cinema or filmmaking or Mm -hmm. so he just happens to be such an important piece of that area that, of the, like that industry of New York filmmaking where, yeah, you're right. Every single like, you know, New York centric person is some way, shape or form paying homage to Martin Scorsese. Even if they hate Scorsese, they're probably doing it in some way, shape or mm-hmm. form. No, no, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a, that's a really, really good like uh, uh, assessment of that right there. And I'm, I'm telling you, like, it makes you wonder like um if there's any like other, like who the Chicago director is or whatever. And oh, for uh, sure. I actually, I actually just watched um, Cosmopolis, which is one of Cronenberg's last movie. It was another Pattinson, mm-hmm. like Adam's Pat- Pattinson romance here. And dude, Cosmopolis is pretty fucking good. It's on Amazon if you haven't gotten the, the chance to check it out. Yet. Right, right, so, right. Okay, so um, I wanted to just do another like kind of quick little listicle here. And when it comes to like some of the production, like the technical elements of filmmaking, um, just name three of these that you feel are worth the discussion. If you don't have three, if you have more than three, it's totally cool too. But uh, just three things production-wise that you thought are worth the discussion. I'll, I'll, I'll give you one that I think really makes the movie. And it's all of the close-ups of Howie. Of okay. The way that we center on his face. And the way that his face is in frame for like long speeches... Um, but a lot of times still obscured by sunglasses, mm-hmm. um, when he's not, you know, when he's not wearing his glasses, there's a lot of times when he's wearing sunglasses and his eyes are obscured and it just right. feels like it, it feels like you're sort of, and like, I, I don't know if this was, I don't know if this was on purpose in terms of like, it, cause Adam Sandler's wearing fake teeth. Um, and like, he's and like a fake mole, uh, like the, the moles obviously, but like, I don't know if the fake teeth were supposed to be like 
the obvious sign of like veneers of okay. like fake teeth. But like basically to me, like we're seeing that Howie is like, here's the shell that Howie is on the outside that you're allowed to see. And but okay. you're not allowed to see beyond that shell. Um, so like you're seeing all these close-ups of Howie and there's even a scene, even, even the scene with him and, and Dina Manzel when she like tells him to look into, look into his eyes and she just starts laughing about how like, and it like, mm-hmm. you think it, you think we're going to go someplace kind of funny with it. Like they're going to, you know, like both have a laugh about it. And she's just like, I don't even want to touch you after he offers to let, you know, her, um, hit him. She just says, mm-hmm. I don't even want to touch you. Like, and that's after looking into his eyes, like, yeah. so like the real person underneath the sunglasses and the glasses is just a piece of shit. I gotcha. Ooh, that's really good stuff, man. I like that a lot. I didn't know about the fake teeth either. Like I had the mole and everything. Yeah, you bet. Yeah. And like you make a good thing with the sunglasses and stuff. And it does truly mad. You know, it's like a mask or whatever. The yeah. whole fucking thing is yeah. we see him as a goddamn mask. You're you're totally fucking right on that, man. I um I had I had a couple things. Um, one thing that was totally unexpected, but I loved the shit out of this was those crazy psychedelic visuals that we see in the beginning and yes. at the end of the movie. Yes. No, no idea where they came from. I, I don't think good time is like that. I don't, I don't believe that that's like a signature Softy brothers uh, movie trait, but I loved it. I, I thought it was fucking cool, man. Like it was a really just yeah. psych- psychedelic experience. And believe me, I'm all about the psychedelic experience. It's just, it's just a nice, it's another little curveball inside of this movie that you're just yeah. not expecting. And again, like I, like I said before, like just sort of adds to that, just a little bit of just that little tiny sliver of mysticism that is running mm-hmm. through this movie uh, in terms of the rock. It just adds just like a little bit to it. Yeah. Oh, definitely dude. And I'm going to, I'm going to piggyback off to something else that um, like just completely worked in this movie that I didn't think it was going to was the score. The score on this movie was fucking, it's so not what this movie should be like this, even for um, this guy, Daniel Lapatan, who's uh, I'm totally going to botch this. It's like Uno Theix point never, which is um, this, it turns out it's a verbal play on words of this radio station in Boston called magic 106.7, according to Wikipedia anyway. Okay. But this guy, a lot of his music isn't, isn't really like this. Okay. It's more like ambient. It's um, which is, there's definitely ambient sounds in this for sure, but it's not as like, bright and happy like this guy's definitely like on the darker side and mm-hmm. i even see he opened it for nine inch nails when i saw him nine inch nails and Soundgarden. if uh if that's any idea of who this okay. guy tours with but uh this score was wonderful and i even thought that the score like did kind of have this like maybe not necessarily the 70s i would almost say like maybe like the 80s like head of the class type theme song okay. music kind of to it and i in any other movie, like where there is such a crazy, like difference between like the actual footage and the score, I don't think it would have worked as well. But with this, it just worked so perfectly. And then to play the music over those crazy psychedelic scenes was just like the icing on the cake, dude. I love that. Uh, I, I have something to say about about the the score, um, but I'll, I'll get to it because it's under something actually I didn't like, but it's not quite what you're hitting on. So I'll I'll, okay. I'll, I'll save that thought for for a little bit later um, for okay. the next part here. But um, I, I do want to talk about, you mentioned before how um, they, how New York City's a character mm-hmm. in this movie and a hundred percent for sure. But I, what I really loved is that they um, in shooting this film, probably because it saved them a lot of money to not do this, but also it's not like there was a bunch of recognizable New York City landmarks, right? Like we didn't, we yeah. didn't see certain buildings. We didn't see the fucking Brooklyn bridge. Um, you know, like there's just stuff that we didn't see. And mm-hmm. the, the version of NYC that we did see was 
the you know like you said like the jewelry district the diamond district the jewelry district however you want to put it um and sort of like the you know the smaller like we we got uh, like when we meet mike francesa in like this little fucking restaurant that probably if you didn't know it was there you would walk by it um yep. and then so like we kind of see just like the very a, a, a place that you know we're seeing places in new york city that like normal people even people who are new yorkers lifelong new yorkers probably aren't walking into um that type of pawn shop right yeah. like it, it's we're seeing places that you wouldn't see otherwise and then when we do see something that's a little bit more recognizable like when we see the adley's um uh, auction house it doesn't it feel like adam sandler does not belong in that building whatsoever Oh, not a chance in hell, dude. Yeah. Like, even the way he's dressed compared to everybody with the yep. earrings and, like, the bling and stuff, yep. He they do a great job of visually showing you that this guy is not supposed to be in that building. Right. Definitely. So, like, so like when he walks into a building that when we think of, like, New York City um, in, in, movie, in movie terms, he doesn't fit there. He fits in a totally mm -hmm. different version of New York City. Yeah, exactly. And if the best way that I would, because I, I kind of noticed this, too, about, like, the where in New York City they decided to shoot this and stuff and like if i was to make a comparison like most movies that are set in new york it's kind of like watching an episode of diners drive-ins and dives where it's like you know you see all like the family-friendly recognizable mm -hmm. stuff mm -hmm. and the sky fietti and everything whereas uncut gems was like more watching an episode of anthony bourdain where you're going into places yep. like the real fucking places yep. you know like the places that i would want to go if i was exactly. in new york not the touristy shit for sure for fucking sure right. man yeah, I I gotta say like with the um with the setting of New York City like this is one of, I was for the longest time, um and I've said this before on the podcast I will stand by it as I was a little bit over New York City as a setting because mm -hmm. ever since other cities started giving film tax credits you could have Cleveland be New York City <laughs> oh, or right. even just have it set in Cleveland or whatever, right. but this one really got me kind of like oh wow like New York hello, it's nice to see you again. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, mm -hmm. uh, so that was like, they really did a great job of executing New York um, as a, as a character and stuff. And I got one last thing on, out of the three, um, sure. the three tentacle stuff. And this is like, dude, I don't know if they used like a crazy camera filter or whatever. And this just goes back to highlight some of the, the realism of the movie, but there was something about this that it just totally looked different. It doesn't mm -hmm. look like a, a lot of other movies. And even like, as I was uh, on the Netflix menu, kind of deciding what to watch next, none of the other movies that Netflix even offered in the trending now section had the same kind of appearance, style, tone, whatever you want to call it as this movie. So there's something that they did where I feel it makes it more realistic. I, I can't tell if it's like necessarily handheld cameras or if it's just really nice cameras, not on mounts that are, you know, a little bit, more yeah. walking with the character and feeling those vibrations but they really did a good job of, cr of creating realism through the the cinematography and the camera work there was yeah I, i'm with you on that one and i'm gonna piggyback off that and say that that um the look of it felt um the look of it felt very you know i, I mean this in a good way it looked a little flatter in a lot of points okay. like the colors pop when they needed to like thinking about like the you know that 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 ex that really exclusive club scene with mm -hmm. um, with the weekend, like the colors pop when they needed to because we're doing like black we're doing black light and neon, right? right? Like so the colors pop when they needed to, but like when you see the every you know when you see like the the family scene, um, you know even when he's with uh, with with uh, Julia, it, like no one looks no one looks like a movie star, 
mm-hmm. right? No one, like, right. really... I mean, KG stands out because he's fucking seven feet tall. But, mm-hmm. like, no one looks like a movie star. I mean, Julia, the, the girl who plays Julia is Julia Fox. Um, yeah. It's like New York socialite. I mean, she's not really an actress, per se, but, I mean, obviously she is now at this point. Um, <laughs> but, like, a, like an artist, a, a, activist, an heiress or whatever. She is, she's been in Playboy. She's hot as fuck. I mean, she's yeah. smoking hot. She doesn't, I mean, not that she doesn't look hot, but she looks like a normal person. Mm-hmm. Like, even yeah. even when she's dressed up for the club scene with The weekend, she looks like a normal person. Adina Manzel is a glamorous, beautiful woman, looks like a normal person, no matter when right. we see her. And everyone just, it's like the, it's like the, the, um, I, I don't know, like the fake layer of what, movies are, people, movies are extremely fake. Like, they're mm-hmm. very fake, they're very fake looking until, like, they get edited out, and it, trust, it's a, if you were on a movie set, you'd be amazed at how fake shit looks. But, like, right. everyone looked real and kind of just, I don't know, it, it looked like a, how we, how you and I see the world and not as brightly lit and not everyone looked great. Yeah, that's exactly right. There's something about, you're right, movie stars and everything, and even in certain movies, they do have this glitzy glam and they're shot mm-hmm. from all these angles that really like glorify them there was no glorifying these characters whatsoever i don't even believe any of them were shot from a low angle looking up you no. know that commanding presence thing so uh, and on top of like these people like india manzel and julia fox who yeah they're insanely beautiful people mm-hmm. they tone them down in this way where you still keep the beauty but they do look like india manzel like i, I saw 40 of her on my morning walk right this like morning, she you know? looks like a woman that lives down the street from you yeah exactly and like julia fox you're right dude like that i no idea where they they uh, found her but um the, there's a definitely a very very attractive woman yeah, on, uh, sure. on, on, in that for she's, sure she's, oh, yes. fr- she's friends with benny safty oh okay gotcha okay yeah so if i figure it's one of these things if you like these new york socialites you know anybody that's done anything or currently doing something yes. that's in new york absolutely, <laughs> for, absolutely. for sure <laughs> So, okay, I didn't have anything else for the stuff that I liked. Did you have anything else for the, the stuff you liked? Uh, nothing else for the stuff I liked. I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll jump into the, some of the technical stuff I didn't like or the one thing I didn't like. Um, mm-hmm. And since you pointed out the score, um, it's not so much that the score was like, it's not, it's not like it was bad. There was a couple of points where I was kind of distracted by how long the music was going on. Okay. Um, like, at the, like the opening, we have like this louder, um, the, the music is so loud, it's almost like drowning out. Um, yeah. Howie talking a couple times and I'm like oh it's still going like it's it, yeah. just, it went on for like a solid like 12-13 minutes or something like that and I was or maybe, maybe not quite that long but I mean it goes well yeah. into dialogue and I was kind of like alright guys we can scale turn the music down a, a couple of notches yeah see that's the thing with like people who are in this guy's style of music is that I don't know, man. It's hard to actually end these songs. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. there's not like it's um. So take like when you're listening to like um or watching like a Stanley Kubrick movie and he uses one of the orchestral composition compositions right. for the movie and stuff. That music kind of takes you somewhere, okay? Like, and even though like this, um, not the X point never is like it, there's a build up and stuff, and the music does take you places, but it doesn't give you as much to focus on in like with the horns and violins and stuff like that, that would normally be in like a montage from 2001. So when you're in these like kind of distorted ambient, everything sounds like the first five seconds of the cures, degeneration or disintegration. Um, it's just hard to like balance that. And like, I feel you have 
the easiest opportunity to get into a song in like this ambient soundtrack kind of style. You have the easiest way to jump in, but you have a hard time jumping out because the song doesn't really like set itself up to close. It's just basically like kind of noise and sound that could go on forever. Mm -hmm. So I I think that that some of that may have factored into how and when they decided to cut it off, the levels, the volume, all that kind of stuff, for sure. I think it's it's more or less like the style of music that they decided to go with. Which again, again, feels like something from the 1970s. Just that sort of like, you'll just get like music that just plays over a long stretch, even over dialogue and stuff. I, that that just mm-hmm. like I, I I I can't I can't name you a specific '70s movie right now, but like I've seen plenty of movies from that era, and I just that feels like something I recall happening in a lot of those movies where like the first ten minutes you'll have a music score that just goes over everyone talking. Yeah, yeah, dude, I understand what you're saying. I can't think of anything specific either, but I, I when you explaining it the way you have, I'm aware of what you're talking yeah. about for sure. All right, so we're going to dive into the characters now, and I broke this up into two categories. So we have the characters sans Adam Sandler, and then we're going to talk about Sandler sure. individually, like we did with like we did with uh, Tim Curry and everything. Mm. And oh, really quick, I just fucking remembered this. Um, Tim Curry is the voice of the antagonist in that movie Fern Gully, like the smoke monster and everything. Ah, okay. He's uh, yeah, he's the smoke monster, and uh, Robin Williams is Batty Coda, which I totally I knew that forgot Robin about. Williams was in that, but yeah, I, I didn't realize that Tim Curry was a uh... It was in uh, Fern Gully too. Yeah, it's the one of the greatest propaganda movies in the history of propaganda movies. <laughs> you, you bet. So okay, so we're gonna start off with um with with so Sandler, he's definitely the protagonist. There's no there's no debate on that. Who do you think is the second lead? This this was a tough one because I think there's like a, I think there's like at least two options, maybe three options. Of course. Um, and I kind of struggled with either between Julia or KG. And I, I okay. think I went with KG because Kevin Garnett's actions influence significantly more of the story than Julia's actions. Okay. And I got to ask you, this, this is a bonus question. Yeah. What do you think of KD's act, KG's acting chops? You know, you, I'll tell you what, you could have fooled me into believing that he had been in a few other movies. This is his first movie. And it obviously helps. He's just playing himself, but like, mm-hmm he still has a good presence. And again, it, ha- it does help that he's like seven feet tall, but, um, but he has like a, he has a good presence about him. And like, he doesn't in that, in that scene and two, in I'm thinking of two scenes in particular, the, the auction scene and, okay. and the scene in, uh, in the end scene in, uh, Sandler's office and Howie's office. He, he plays, you know, the, he plays understated very well, just sitting there doing his, you know, like the the auctioneer is kind of giving giving him shout outs without by naming him by name, um, you know, because like it's that's sort of like a that's just like professional yeah. professionalism yeah. On, on their part. Oh, yeah. Like, hey, you know, wow, you're jumping on this one just like you do in the court, you know, like but without saying that, like, oh, by the way, Kevin Garnett's sitting over there. Um, Definitely. It, but like he's just kind of giving this he's just giving this performance where like he doesn't he's being extremely understated, but you can see what's going on in his head. Cause he's doing a good job of just doing some ace, uh, eye and face acting. And then mm-hmm. in that final scene, he does, he does the right thing by sort of pushing this, pushing the scene as far along as it needs to be pushed. And then letting Adam Sandler, the actor take over the lead of that scene and guide it then. So he's, you know, giving him the assist, if you will, for to let yeah. Adam Sandler slam dunk that last scene. So I think KG did a really great job. 
I'm very happy with Kevin Garnett's performance, actually. Yeah. And even like the um, the stuff that we saw in the beginning with him in the the jewelry store and looking mm-hmm. at the rock and stuff. I'm telling you, there are some times where, where I see people obsessing over stupid shit and I do this stuff myself and I look at it and I'm like, that is corny as hell. I believed it. I totally believed that he had this connection to this rock mm-hmm. and that for some reason, like this was going to be this thing that this superstitious thing that made him do better. I was all about that, dude. So like, are, are you, so would you say that like K, KG's job is basically like the assist man and almost, yeah, like I, the, I, I uh, really think, the, um, the, the, I, I the really, middle man guy. Yeah. I really think his job in the scenes, um, cause I mean, his scenes are all with, uh, with Adam Sandler, obviously, um, mm-hmm. that his job is to sort of in, in a way play the straight man. I mean, his job is to be himself, but to still sort of, his job is to be himself, but like give enough presence that would believe that he is, that this is prime KG, that this is a guy with millions of dollars. This is a guy that, you know, he, he gets what he wants. Right. And he kind mm-hmm. of, and he does get what he wants. He kind of forces, he forces the situation with the, you know, with the opal without like, you know, without being rude, without like yelling, he just kind of like, he just convinces uh, Howie to give him that rock based solely on like i have this connection with it i can feel it there's there's magic here and like mm-hmm. you're right i believe it like coming out of kg's mouth i believe it i'm not sure if that was like Shaq or something I, i'm not sure i would believe it. <laughs> you know what i mean i just not, i don't think i would believe it no not a chance in hell dude and like if shaquille o'neal like let's just say for example that they did use shaquille o'neal like he would look definitely not like he was in his playing days. No, that's not, for sure. Like not at all. KG is still in great shape, man. I, I I rarely could tell the difference between how he looked in that movie and how he does on the court right. and stuff. You can put makeup for some of that, but KG still looked great. I thought he, aside from the fact that he's a seven foot tall guy, he's got this kind of like less is more kind of presence yep. about him yep. where he really like, you know, maybe it is a straight man kind of thing. Like, you know, maybe, maybe you do laugh at some of his lines and I'm not going to like, I found him quite charming to a certain degree. I was like, wow, like Jesus Christ. But dude, I, I really got behind Kevin Garnett. Um, I, I did not put him as my second like lead choice for, for the Mm -hmm. sake of our discussion. I landed on Julia actually. And like when I put down second lead and I sent the outline to you and then I, resumed working on it last night i guess like the what i guess like what i had in my mind is like who would be almost like sandler's like kind of like sidekick almost Mm -hmm. and i I don't want to put it on lakeith stanfield because like granted sandler has like a complicated relationship with everybody but julia was at least in my opinion the only one that actually loved the guy you know yeah i I, I mean I think we're, I think you're right. And I think we're led to believe, you know, from the beginning, at least at the beginning that this is clearly like a, you know, a sort of sugar daddy kind -hmm. of relationship. Like that's sort of like the implication from the beginning, but like after the fight, it's pretty clear that like, no, actually she does love him. Um, You know, for, you know, whatever, you know, it's more than lust. It's more than, than what we were led to believe at the beginning. Yeah, exactly. And like they started, um, they give you a little bit of that when she shows him the tattoo and everything like mm-hmm. that. And not only like he's the like he breaks down in front of her. You know, she's the only person that actually sees this emotionally vulnerable side of him. Um, at least like maybe Manziel does like in that speech at the end and stuff. But yeah. th- th- that is nowhere near as active as good as the him breaking down and crying no. thing. And even though for something 
simple just saying like i don't know what to do which is there's no subtext in that it is so right there it's direct as hell um and something that we've seen before in movies all over the place i was able to roll with that scene you know like i believed Mm -hmm. that sandler Mm -hmm. was having this breakdown and so i thought that her job if i was to give her like a job and i'm using this very lightly but she might be the only person that actually humanizes him in the movie and even though he has a family and stuff like he's got all the shit that we think of when it comes to humanizing a character she's really the only one that does and now like i said his relationships are complicated with everybody and i didn't expect all of a sudden them to just be you know wine and roses the entire time right but you could tell that there was like a that there is some kind of legitimate connection to them and when you get to the end of the movie and he is telling her that he loves her and stuff like that. It's like, it almost felt like the game was going to be this thing with the win. He was going to get his life together. And then all of a sudden, like he's just, you know, shot and killed. It's like, it's almost like in the same way that American beauty ends where Kevin Spacey almost like for the sake of the movie, finds out what the meaning of life is or find out his purpose. Mm -hmm. And then he dies. It was very similar to that, I feel, but just way more graphic and intense. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. For sure. So, okay. So, um, antagonist-wise, there's a couple different options here, but what are your thoughts on the antagonist? I, I actually, I'm curious. I want to hear yours first. I'm very curious about okay. where you went with this. Okay. So, I broke this down into two different categories. Okay. I could have went more, but I think two is the appropriate one, especially for late last night. <laughs> um, okay. We have external antagonistic forces at work. They're internal and external. Mm-hmm. And big surprise, I'll just get to this first, but the in- external elements are Arno, Phil, and Nico. These mm-hmm. are the guys that are actually shaking him down. These are people that mm-hmm. we can see that are punching him, kicking him, you know, creating uh, unease. These would be like the people that directly threaten his life in the outside world. But in all reality, the real antagonist of the movie is Adam Sandler. He is his own worst enemy. And while it's not one of these movies where like, I don't even really, he's not even really battling his gambling addiction. So it's not like watching like beautiful boy or something where it's about an addiction and a guy trying to overcome that. It's like he is embracing his antagonistic side Mm -hmm. And exploiting it for all it's worth, which in the end, you know, one could argue that that could be his that that could have been his downfall. Like that could somebody mm-hmm. I think that's a fair argument. But um, he's just one of these people that is so self-destructive from his own actions. Everything that he did wrong or that happens to him was a result of a bad or shady decision that he had made. So while he may not he is actually threatening his own life, but it's not going to work in a movie unless we have the collectors and the hitman guys and yes. people punching him and stuff like that. So that's my, my thoughts on the antagonist is it works from an internal and external perspective. Yeah, exactly. I, I had, I had two here that, that Howard is the antagonist. He's the protagonist and the antagonist in the film. And, but like his, but you know, because obviously he is, again, he is the antagonist, but, we need like an embodiment of like what is going on inside of him and the the embodiment of, of his gambling addiction, which is his biggest, you know, that's his Achilles heel, if you will, um, that that's embodied, that's personified by Arno and his gang. So it's yes, going the exact same direction that like, you're right. We need an actual personification of of what is of the internal struggle externally. Otherwise, it doesn't really make sense. Um, yeah. There's no one, you know, there's no one to physically if there's no one to physically threaten his well-being 
then it's just someone in a downward spiral, which is a different movie. Yeah, it's a whole different movie. And there would, I would actually be interested to see like how they would have made that work. Like, let's just say, for example, like you know, all of a sudden, eighty million dollars frees up, and they're like, "Hey, you guys, like, make a movie where it's just about Adam Sandler and a gambling addiction or whatever." Mm-hmm. It would be so different, dude. Like, you would see like you know more things with his family and his daughters, yeah, exactly. and his wife is leaving him and stuff like that. And I do feel that that movie could still work. But it's just not uncut gems. You know what I'm saying? It's, you wouldn't it's, it's, you'd it's be a, able to have any of this. Yeah, it's, it's a version of Leaving Las Vegas. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not quite, but like that's kind of what it would be like. Yeah, I, I agree. I could not agree with you more on that, yeah. dude. Yeah, you bet. <laughs> so, okay. So, the um, wanted to ask you about the balancing of the cast. Like, what are your thoughts on is it a well-balanced cast, not balanced? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think you – obviously, we talked about like, this has got some legit star power first off. Again, Adam Sandler, Kevin Garnett, not an actor, but, like, a name that, like, I, I can't believe that they landed necessarily. Judd Hirsch, um, Eric Bogosian, uh, again, Adina Manzel, uh, Tilda Swinton is, is a, doing a voice cameo. Like, this, and The Weeknd, by the way, sings in this movie. Yeah. Um, this is, like, a fucking, this is a tremendous cast on its own. But the mm-hmm. fact that they that they didn't overwhelm us with too much Kevin uh, Kevin Garnett. They didn't overwhelm us with, you know, Judd Hirsch has two scenes. Yeah, um, that's the, right. The fact that, like, we, again, like, the uh, the, uh, the Mike Francesa, it's not really a cameo. Um, I know he's done some other movies and stuff before, but, like, just inserting Mike Francesa as this bookie is, is like, you know, if, I guess if you're not into sports talk radio, that one just goes right by you. I know exactly who he <laughs> is. Um, but, you know, like, but, like, again, he was in two scenes, right? Like, yeah. it just felt like they, they the, the weekend is in one scene. It just felt like that they use, uh, and obviously like a, a couple of pictures, like they, we see them early in the movie and some pictures and shit. But um, it just felt like that they they knew exactly how much screen time every single person needed. Adam Sandler's how we needed the most screen time because it's his fucking movie, and then we just needed these we needed these other people to play a certain role, and no matter like how big the star was, they played their roles really really well. I couldn't have said it any better myself. Like I, the metaphor I used was like Adam Sandler is the sun. Everything revolves around him, yep. but you just get enough, man. Like you get enough of everybody. And I got to say that this is really on the, the softy brothers, because if this was any other movie, I just, I, I'm not seeing it with this working the same way. I'm seeing, um, India Menzel having a subplot, you know, maybe mm-hmm. she's banging somebody or there's a boyfriend that just wants her to, that's pushing for her to get separated right. so they could take Howard for his money that they think he has or whatever. Um, so the really with the way that they put this whole thing together and limited everybody's time or set up, I don't know what the have, whatever they decided to do to create this balance, I did think worked really well. And to see these named faces only in like two scenes and stuff, like, that, that's great. Like, I, I just think it's awesome that you do get Judge Hirsch in there. You do just get him for two scenes and stuff like that. And it works really well. The chemistry between him, him and Adam Sandler was absolutely fantastic. And even the, the chemistry between him and Lakeith Stanfield, I thought mm-hmm. was great. It was yeah. great stuff all around. So definitely a well-balanced cast. And oh, we did. And, oh, sorry, just, I just noted just real quick, like a well-balanced cast. And I love that. Like, I love that. Like someone like the weekend was up for being a Coke snorting horn dog. Yep. You know, like yep. basically, you know, moving on someone in the in a fucking bathroom. I love that. Uh-huh. Oh, by the way, John Amos is in this movie. 
Um, I love that John Amos is uh, is Howie Ratner's neighbor. That you know when he knocks on the door. Yeah. Yeah, I love the John right. Amos of 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 good time. Uh, um, all in the fan or no, wait, which which show am I fucking up? But like John Amos is it's in good, it. It's good. It's good. Times. Good yeah, times. It's thank good you. Times. I love that John Amos is just literally in the movie for ten seconds. I know, and he is. Is he Negro Damas on Chappelle's show? No, that's um, Paul Mooney. Okay, gotcha. Okay, he's, that's, um, that's he's who I um, it was. coming that's to right. America. McDowell's. That's okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I gotcha. Okay. Yeah, you bet. Holy shit. Coming to America. Jesus Christ. And hey, just to let you know, there was a McDowell's pop up in LA uh, for like two weeks last year. They had one. Oh, is it really? And we're, we're, yeah, where you could go there and get the food and stuff. It was a, um, a, a sandwich shop called Fat Sal's, which is really fucking good. There's like two or three of them out here. They converted their Hollywood location into the McDowell's for, for a couple of weeks. That's pretty great. That was a really, really cool idea. That's yeah, great. you bet. <laughs> yeah, dude, I'm telling you, agree with your thoughts. Totally on the on the balance cast for sure. Mm-hmm. So um, we kind of answered these before. So um, I did have something extra in here, but um, we both agreed that Lakeith Stanfield is the guy that could use more screen time yeah. for sure. Do you have anything to add on to that? Uh, just I would have liked maybe one more scene with Arno and Howie, um, mm-hmm. just because they were great scenes. Like they were they they were just electric scenes when they were together. Yeah, definitely. And I, I could have used one more scene um, too. And if it wasn't going to be with the two of them, I would have liked some kind of resolution on him you know i'll even take him getting in the car and driving out of the city like i just number one and i am on the lucky bandwagon i will be forever mm-hmm. but uh, and until he unless he does something stupid obviously <laughs> but uh um i just could have used something more i could have used a little bit of resolution and i know that he takes his watches and kind of walks away but i just wanted something else beyond that right so that that's just me and mm-hmm. with the um the people that could use less screen time are you with the older guys, or did you have somebody else? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm with them. I, I don't really understand their role in it, and honestly, it, it's only because of the way that they use Lakeith Stanfield. It, it's you either need to do one of two things with it, more or less of him. Mm-hmm. Like I would prefer yeah. more because I like Lakeith Stanfield, but if you're just gonna have like a noisy character, then maybe less of him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you better even. I'd fuck, recast it entirely. Like yeah, I said, exactly. Lakeith's a star. Yeah. Do not pin, do not pigeonhole him like that. Right. <laughs> okay. So, all right. Now we're gonna dive into the something I've been waiting for with the Adam Sandler discussion. This is now, I think, what discussion number four or five about him, aside at from least, the full episode. Uh, I think four. Okay, so we were at the Ridiculous Six. We yep. did Meyerowitz, Sandy Meyerowitz, Wexler, Sandy and then Wexler. and then this one. Yep. Yep. Okay. Okay, the fourth Adam Sandler discussion in our ongoing evolution. Jesus. So, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, right? And believe me, there's going to be many more. I have a Probably. feeling that this is just this is not the end of this at all. So, okay, so just a pretty general question. Um, what are your thoughts on his performance overall? I, I mean, this is great. Uh, I think I'm going to save some thoughts on like award stuff. You know, when we get down when we get down to it, but like this is such a great performance. He commands the screen so well. Um, and my goodness, he is there a way we could have skipped um, his 30s and 40s and just gone like it, I've never met. Yeah. A, I've never I can't think of another actor who was great for what he was doing in his 20s and now is like a great actor as like an older, not older. I mean, he's not like that old, but like as someone in their 50s, I think he's like 51 now. Um, you know, like he just feels, it feels right that he's sort of this like beleaguered dad in a lot of things now. Yeah. Yeah. He, number one, like I, I can't believe that he's, I mean, I'm very happy that he has had that kind of longevity. He's, 
got to be one of the only stars that I think has really been with us for a lot of our lives or at least relevant for 20 something years. Mm -hmm. Like, and I'm telling you, man, like there is such a gap. Like we're talking almost like a Jackie Earl Haley type gap where it's just years and years and years between, between where he was really good or something he was known for. And then coming back with something like this, it totally, Mm -hmm. It totally took me by surprise. I'm going to read off what I uh, what I wrote down here, and like I just number one, he did really really well. Um, I could easily be a little bit high off the performance still, but I, I absolutely loved him. And compared to the recent slate, dude, this is a whole different fucking Sandler. And I'm going to get into a little bit more of this in the next question. But um, I, while I still. I don't believe that we're not talking Leo in the Revenant. We're not necessarily talking this, you know, major, major feat of acting. You know, I, I still think that they did a lot of things that like this is just so crafted for Adam Sandler. Yes. That, that's what I'm saying here mm-hmm. is that mm-hmm. this whole thing is so crafted for him. Sure, he's a lying, shady douchebag, but there's this certain Adam Sandler charm that only he could deliver, which mm-hmm. makes this character likable. Like I, I ran through this in my mind and I, I was going to ask you just really like, there's nobody in my mind who I could see playing this character. I don't know if you could think of somebody else, but like for me, this is so specific that Jess told me that they were, she looked on Wikipedia last night and found out that they had originally were thinking about Jonah Hill as this role. No, I like Jonah Hill, but no, not this. Yeah. And like, I was telling Jess, I'm like, okay, like Jonah Hill, you know, I could see him the shady side. Okay. I could see Jonah Hill taking bets and having a mistress and all that stuff all over New York city. I could see that, but Jonah Hill will not have the same kind of uh, camera presence, charisma or charm that gives you that likability. You know what I'm saying? Like Jonah Hill may come off as funny in certain scenes. And you're like, Oh God, I like him. He's kind of funny. But there were times where Adam Sandler legitimately came off as likable. And you, like I said, in the end, like I was, I was rooting for this guy to get his life straightened mm-hmm. out and everything. Like maybe this will be the thing that prompts this whole new Howard Ratner and stuff, but it wasn't the case. And there wasn't, um, that that wasn't the case in the story, but no other actor I think would have been able to get that kind of emotion out of me and stuff. It would have been a completely different experience, which is why I believe Adam Sandler 100% owned this role. I, I don't see anybody else in it. No. And I think, I think it's this thing that he's always had, even in his bad movies, which there are plentiful. It's, it's this like boyish, this boyish charm, this like kind of earnestness in his voice. Like, mm-hmm. It, it, there's just something even though he's in his 50s now he still feels it still feels like he's a very young uh, when he when he talks even with even with the kind of even though he's like really digging into his new york accent for this movie mm-hmm. especially it, there's still something in his voice that like makes you believe that he is trying to be better yeah it's like no matter what i can't not see him as maybe like the billy madison or like the happy gilmore where they're like, even though they are like these crazy tempered people, but there's still like a good heartedness mm-hmm. in him. And that's the thing. Like you just, you look at him and you don't see like a scumbag. And I, I can't even think if he's ever really played like a villain before. I mean, he's definitely not played anything like this character, but um, you know, to see him transition so well into like this dark shady guy, but to still have that, Billy Madison, like he could have easily said penguin for no reason whatsoever in this movie. And I think it would have fit. Like there's just something about him that, that like that, that really, really works. And um, penguin out. Oh my God, Mr. Penguin. (laughs) So, okay. When, when I'm, I got to ask you this now, because this one I want to go a little bit deeper into. Um, 
when he's got these other serious performances like Rain Over Me, like Punch Drunk Love, how would you like, um, I guess, like compare his performance or rate his performance to Uncut Gems to some of his more serious roles in the past, better or worse, and just kind of give me your thoughts? Well, it, it, this is tough because I, I really can't recall these movies that well. Um, like it's okay. been years since I've seen Punch Drunk Love. Um, but I, I will say this, this is clearly a step in a different direction, even from those that like, this is, if you were to put this character in some of his other, in some of those other movies, be it Punch Drunk Love or Rain Over Me, that character, his character ported into one of those movies is a villain, um, with clear cut, no doubt about it. He's a villain. And I, you're right. Like, I can't think of anything in which Sandler has been villainous. And this is as close as it gets. I mean, he's less villainous because he's with a bunch of other scumbags, um, mm -hmm. you know, that, that are that are trying. He's a villain with worse villains. Um, right. So I think that, like, this is just significantly darker than um, than some of the other ones. And and I would say maybe not, maybe not significantly so, but, like, kind of like you mentioned before, the character sort of isn't, like the character of Howie Ratner isn't like recovering from gambling addiction. He's embracing it. And right. so like, for me, this is like a character that is embracing that darkness. And yeah. I just, I don't think, I don't think I know that there isn't anything else that he's done like this before. No, definitely not. And I'm going to, I'm going to continue on with what you're saying here because definitely you're hitting on something. And the way that we've had this conversation before and the way that I remember us phrasing it, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this is just how I'm remembering it. We've talked about Punch Drunk Love. We talked about Rain Over Me where they're definitely playing to his strengths. Okay. Mm -hmm. So take Punch Drunk Love for an, for an example where that movie was in the 90s where Sandler's signature role was this kind of like, you know, hey, this guy kind of like this. And then he gets really aggressive and yes. he beats stuff up and it's funny. Yeah. You know, Punch Drunk Love like if I was to guess how that movie was was came about, I'd probably say Paul Thomas Anderson really liked Happy Gilmore or Billy Madison. And he's like, I see something in this guy. I'm going to write something specifically for him. Right. So he goes out after seeing that movie and types a script that is specifically written for the Adam Sandler of that time period. But it's a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. And I'm not I'm not going to lie like that movie for as good as it is. Adam Sandler is he's basically like this is Paul Thomas Anderson directing him telling him what to do supplemented by a beautiful score written by john bryan fantastic score on punch drunk love but um it's punch drunk, punch drunk love is not necessarily him going balls to the wall like right. he did in uncut gems right not, and, not extending the range that far yeah definitely not and like I, I think like rain over me like um i'm not gonna lie like i haven't seen that movie in a while either and while he is good in it i'd say it's a little bit more of a step in the right direction as far as being a serious actor goes when compared to, to, to punch drunk love. But the problem with rain over me, it's, it's not necessarily him. It's just the movie's like kind of forgettable. It's just kind yeah. of washed away. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like there's no, like it's very topical too. And like he's being impacted by nine 11. So there's not a lot of like timelessness to it. And if you haven't seen it in a long time, dude, it's completely under, I haven't seen it in, Double digit years. It's been so long exactly. since I've yeah. seen Rain Over Me. So while we also dabbled into um, our discussion with Sandler and the Meyerowitz stories, where he was good in the Meyerowitz stories, but what I'm willing to say about the Meyerowitz stories, and this is again the exact same thing we said in that episode, was that was not the best Bombach. 
Like yeah. I will tell you after seeing Marriage Story, like Marriage Story, also a Noah Bumbach movie, two completely different things. Like yeah. I don't believe there's no place for Adam Sandler in Marriage Story. But if we're talking Noah Bumbach movies, they're two completely different worlds. And I would have liked to have gotten that Noah Bumbach and Meyerowitz stories because it's just I think it would have made it a, a little bit better. Mm-hmm. But but with Uncut Gems, this out of those three, four movies, whatever it is like that, I that I immediately default to when I think of Adam Sandler is like the serious. This was just everything pushed up, crank the amps to 11 and mm-hmm. just go with it like I never really saw this him actually embrace the evil side and even like these crazy just shitty shithead lines he would say to Julia like yeah I'm gonna fuck your brains out later you know like mm-hmm. stuff like that you never saw that out of him before and while I'm not gonna lie like when we were in the beginning and he's walking down the street and he goes to Julia's house and they have this fight and I'm like okay it's been 30 seconds and he's already yelling at somebody I was like all right so is it just gonna be one of these but it wasn't that it wasn't that at all like sure he gets sure People yell. It's just natural. But it wasn't like in Punch Drug Love where it's almost like you're showcasing Adam Sandler's ability right. to yell and scream and punch right. stuff. This just really felt natural. And I, I could not believe how um, how good uh, how good he was in it, man. Mm-hmm. Like, God damn. So I'm hoping oh, – I'll get into this later. Nope. going to cut it off now. So I'm going to go right into the next question. Um, do you consider – Uncut Gems to be a comeback movie for Sandler in the same sense that Pulp Fiction was a comeback movie for John Travolta. I, I, I'm, I'm saying no, because Adam Sandler has never left us. Um, right. <laughs> Adam Sandler still makes $15 million a fucking movie, um, yeah. you know, to, to get on screen and go, habidi-dubidi with, with uh, you know, with Chris Rock. So, uh, no, but, you know, because like Pulp Fiction, legitimate comeback for John Travolta. He was on ice for a while there. Um, but I, I would call this a reminder movie, a reminder that, that Adam Sandler Uh, is mega talented. Um, I mean, clearly like he's a very specific kind of funny, but he's funny. People don't remember when he was 25 on SNL, how fucking dynamic and hilarious he was. And you can't, you, you don't go on SNL before, before Pete Davidson. I think he was the youngest cast member ever, ever cast. Okay. Um, Pete Davidson was like fucking 19 or 20. I think he was like 21 or 22. Um, you don't, you don't get cast in SNL unless you are, you have some inherent talent. And mm-hmm. this is like a reminder that like, that maybe he's not like just going to, you know, become a serious actor now at this point in time, in his career. But like, this is a reminder that like, Hey, by the way, I have more talent in my fucking pinky finger than some of you, than some other <laughs> actors in Hollywood do in their entire fucking body dude i use the exact same fucking term i okay. call this a reminder i'm not calling it a comeback yeah. it's definitely a reminder and once again i'll bring up something that we've talked about before and i i think it might have been the first adam sandler discussion we had but i think it was like one of these questions that was asked where it's just like hey well what's wrong with this guy what is up with him blah mm-hmm. blah blah and I think either you or I said, like, he's just, like, lazy and stuff. Yeah. You know, that that's basically what it is. Oh, like, he could sure. do this whenever he wants. Like, I've never seen – like, this movie gave off the impression that even during the pandemic and during all this stuff, that if Adam Sandler had to go on a set next week and develop – or and, and do the next Uncut Gems, his next serious role, I think he could do it with ease, mm-hmm. with ease ease and maybe he wouldn't even have to read his lines he just shows up and does it and just it's a level of talent that 
I guess I wish was like utilized in a better fashion. And um, I got to say this because I, there's something like, so I had this was like writing down like what I was going to say and everything. And I said that um, at any moment he could just turn it on and act. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely talent there, but for some reason he chooses not to use it. And uh, roles like Howard and Uncut Gems are regularly that he does. He does so many bad movies that by Halloween 2021, he'll have released Mo Frankenstein, the spooky season romantic comedy starring Drew Barrymore and Jennifer Aniston as Hudson, Ohio's only triad relationship with their own house. And it's about trying to save the Hudson Haunted House. Okay, so I want you to keep that in mind because there's something that this tails into with the next question. And so, um, you know, between us, like I said, we talked about him a lot. Uh, my opinion seems to fluctuate on a yearly basis. So right now, is he on your good side? Uh, yeah, he is. And I mean, for sure he is. And I'll, and I'll say this, that like, I don't feel like he's ever been on my bad side. It's almost like, a, I almost feel like I'm his parent. And mm-hmm. like, he just disappoints me so frequently. Yeah. Like, I, I gotcha. know that I know that there's an A student in there somewhere. They're like that, they, like that. That my kid could go to could go to Harvard if he if he really applied himself, but right. like he just chooses not to. And this is like again, like th- for sure, this movie is very much tailored to his strengths. But like Adam Sandler again, he's wearing fake teeth. He's doing additional makeup. He's wearing a wardrobe mm-hmm. that he would definitely not wear in his various you know sleepwalking rom coms. Um, right. Like there is effort on his part for this movie that he would not put into whatever he's going to do with Drew Barrymore or Jennifer Aniston. No, definitely, dude. Definitely. And um, I'm going to, I'm going to answer these two questions like uh, together on my own. Cause it just plays into this whole setup that I did before. But um, how long do you think it's going to last before he makes another complete piece of crap? Well, I, I was cu- actually, I was actually curious as to what he has on deck. Cause I know he's been doing those, um, those Franken weenie movies or whatever, or yeah, whatever yep. he does. Like, he does the voice yep. in some some kids movie, and apparently they're like really good. Yep. Um, you know, but they're animated mm-hmm. movies. I don't really care. Um, yep. But since you since you mentioned the Halloween thing, there is a Halloween movie that's coming out next year. <laughs> that's a, that was the setup I was going for. Yeah, it's called Mo Frankenstein. <laughs> it's coming out next year. Or sorry, it's called. Uh, Hubie Halloween. Hubie Halloween. Hubie Halloween. Sorry, Mo Frank. Mo Frankenstein was mine. I'm sorry, it was just such a great name. But, uh, yeah, Hubie, Hubie Halloween, Hall- and it's directed by one of his usual. Um, one of his usual directors, Stephen Brill. So you know mm-hmm. Stephen Brill's not going to challenge him to do anything. And, and is Stephen Brill, is he the quarterback in The Waterboy? Um, is that the guy? That is a good question. I'm not sure. I don't think so. Okay, I, I could sw- I know that that whole thing is basically like a Mormon cult or whatever, and I thought that the director of some of those movies... So, um, was also an actor and everything like that. It's Steven Brill. Let me, yeah, let me check it up well, real quick. I'm looking at him separate, as an actor. Um, oh yeah, he's, um, he does have little small cameos and stuff in yeah. his movies. Like, uh, yeah, I know. I definitely know who that is. Okay. Yeah. He's in the, in Mr. Deeds, he's the violin player. Yes. He's, yep. he's got a very recognizable face and this guy, Kind of looks like a male version of Darcy Carden. I don't know if you know who that is. She's this actress who was on The Good Place and stuff. Um, oh, yeah, But yeah. this guy kind of yeah. looks like a, a male version of her. And I love Darcy Carden. I hope she becomes a pop culture phenomenon. I've said that to Jessica. Um, but, uh, yeah, this guy just kind of reminds me of her, I guess. A little bit, yeah. But, yeah, Stephen Brill is one of his usual uh, – I'll call, I'll call him accomplices in, in film crime. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, Hubie Halloween is going to suck yeah see that that was so that was my thing too like i 
I, I right now I am not disappointed by him. Um, I guess I, maybe the disappointment at times could turn into like rage, depending on how <laughs> horrible of the project is. I wasn't necessarily, I, I went a little bit beyond disappointment for ridiculous six, but um, with this one, he's I'm, I'm in that Sandler embrace again. Uh, I do think that, yeah, it's going to be a, only a matter of months now before um, I'm saying something to the exact opposite of what I'm saying now. But um, I, it's just, once again, it's just a further testament into this laziness, this, I don't know what, the hell whatever you want to call it whatever it is it's just a testament to that that this guy could do it at any time he wants and he's going to follow up uncut gems he's literally going to follow up uncut gems with some like just shit ass like comedy kind of thing you know sleepwalking rom-com where he could yeah, just sleep he could just stand up say his line sit back down no one cares yep paid vacations all the way i wonder where this wonder where this one's going to shoot it's going to oh, be I... halloween but in barbados right could you imagine having the power to say like, okay, so this is a rom com about uh, this this what's that what's that movie Blended or whatever like the the, the step family, and then mm-hmm. like having the power to go like, well, how about we just shoot it in South Africa, because I want to take a vacation yeah. to South Africa and get paid to do it. Yeah. Never been to South Africa before. Hey kids, you want to go? Daddy's shooting a movie. Like that's that, can you imagine that, how great his kids must feel? Oh, hundred percent. I mean, like, but that's just that's amazing to me that. That they will again. You know what though? His movies make a lot of fucking money. So, what are you gonna do? Money talks, man. Yep. Money fuck talks. They'll shoot it anywhere he wants as yep. long as it as long as it breaks even. It's totally cool, you yep. know. <laughs> so okay, so this one's the um, question we've we've discussed before. Um, is he winning an Academy Award? Uh, you know, no, um, and it's not it, it, no, and it's not like this performance wasn't up to snuff. I really think, had he been nominated for an Oscar, I wouldn't have been shocked. Because um, mm-hmm. his command in this performance is that great. But there are tons of great performances every year that don't get nominated, right. let alone win. Um, and that's coming from actors who are much better than him, as just purely as an actor, that are much better than him, much more, much busier, and much more motivated in their roles. Yeah, Don't get nominated for Oscars. So possibility i mean i think after this like you know whatever the next whenever he gets attached to another serious project um you know i think there's going to be inherent oscar buzz but uh, yeah no i'm just gonna go with no there's again tons of great actors have never won an academy award i gotcha i gotcha i like i will tell you that this movie um i can understand why he didn't win like i mean in all reality this was joaquin's year hands down like there was no way you're beating joaquin phoenix's for the joker i can't take it entirely off the table in the future because i personally believe channing tatum's going to win one mm-hmm. and if channing tatum is going to win an academy award i don't see any reason why adam sandler wouldn't but how and project and collaboration and the movie all that stuff that is beyond me i'm see i guess like what i where i'm saying is that like yes this was good this was definitely good but I like if he would have gotten a nomination for an Academy Award, I would have been fine with it. I wouldn't have said that somebody else got snubbed or whatever, mm-hmm. but I don't think that this would have done it. Expect definitely not this year. I just can't okay. I can't like quite put my finger on what role they're gonna to tailor to him right. that is gonna put him over the yes. edge. You know? If, if this didn't do it, what will? 
Right. So, like, what are they possibly going to have? Is he now he's a shady pool player or something? You know, I, that's that movie's not going to win the that movie's not going to win the Academy Award. So I I don't know. Like, I, I'm a little foggy on what would actually get him to do it. But I'm I can't quite take it off the table that he won't get one. You know what I'm saying? Just even like just as a lifetime achievement award type thing. But if he is going to get one, it's going to be it's going to be one of these movies like um, like Stranger Than Fiction almost, you know, where like it's a uh, it's supposed to be a comedy. It's not supposed yeah. to be a serious movie, but it's like a depressing comedy or something. That, that'll be the one that he does it or he gets a supporting for something maybe a supporting. Actor I could see a supporting a, a little... where he where he pours his fucking effort into like a, a role where he's on screen for 15 minutes. And like, yeah, those, those gotcha. are like the magnetic 15 minutes. Yeah, that's true. He could like the network. Uh, Warren, oh God, the guy who won Ned Beatty and Network or something yeah. won an Academy Award for like 15 minutes of screen time mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah, that that could totally be the case. Like, yeah. I would actually like what Brad Pitt got this year with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think that that is kind of like his lifetime achievement award mm-hmm. because. As much as I like Brad Pitt in that movie, um, and he's actually a very, very great and entertaining part of that movie, I wouldn't necessarily say that that is Oscar material. Like Christian Bale won for The Fighter, which is two completely different performances. <laughs> so um, I, if we are going to go Adam Sandler actually standing up there on Oscar Sunday, it's going to be for something like what I think you said, which is just like kind of your simple shot, almost like, hey, he, he got one finally. How is he not going to get one? So um, so that, that was just my thoughts on that. But uh, if you were Adam Sandler's agent, what advice would you give him going forward? Oh, well, how about this? How about you find more stories about dysfunctional Jewish families? Uh, yeah. Because that seems to be that seems to be working pretty well. I mean, we talked about like, the Mayorowitz stories. It's not like it's groundbreaking stuff, but like it was enjoyable. Um, mm-hmm. you know, he was, he, he played that part, that beleaguered dad part really well. Um, right. you know, this is a hyper dysfunctional Jewish family. Um, <laughs> um, so I don't know, just, just go seek out these stories where there's some dysfunctional New York family, dysfunctional New York Jewish family, yeah. because I don't, I don't know what his home life was growing up. Maybe he lived that already mm-hmm. and he's just drawn <laughs> on experience, but no, but, but seriously, I think there, there's also like a little bit of a common element here the the size of the movie let's find some smaller projects for him to be in projects yeah. that aren't you know where where he, I, I how much do you think he even got paid for this movie dude if he got paid 10 million i would be I, there's no movie, way he got paid there's no way this million. movie cost 10 million yeah <laughs> right you know i mean i mean maybe no it probably did cost like 10 million at least but what i'm saying is like a movie where like he is do he's not doing the movie because he wants to get paid he's doing the movie because he wants to do the movie yeah, exactly. Like the passion project yeah. element of it. Yeah, you're right. This whole like, yeah, this big budget shit, man. It's just gotta stop. And like, if I was if I was his agent, like I would personally tell him, do not answer the phone if Kevin James, David Spade, or Chris <laughs> Rock calls any point in time. Like, and like I'll tell you, like I actually feel that. And I, I don't want to take that away from him because I know he likes doing it. But like, yeah. there's a place there are there is a place for those movies. But instead of doing one every year or two every year, why don't you just do one every three years, one every couple years, five years, whatever the hell it is? Like all these people, like they're they're sitting on mountains of money, dude. Like David Spade, like he may not be as much in the limelight as he used to be, but David Spade's got cash. Okay, yeah. Kevin James is, will never have to work again no. just from the King of Queens. The fact that he made Zookeeper or whatever, Paul Blart, those are just icings on the cake. That's his kitchen and dining room right exactly. there. Exactly. You know? Exactly. So. 
uh, and the thing is, is like when I see these movies that are like these heavy hitter casts, you know, like of comedians and stuff, I kind of look at them the same way I do this band called the Hollywood Vampires, which is Mm -hmm. Johnny Depp, Mm -hmm. uh, Joe Perry, Alice Cooper. It's like, yeah, I don't all this like star power and everything. It's just not going to mesh well. And we've talked about this in this in the salute to the supporting cast episodes. Um, (laughs) We've talked we've talked about that. And um, with those comedy movies, it's, it's just not hitting, dude. It's just really not hitting like I. I don't think that he needs to be a part of any of these like, you know, formulaic ensembles anytime soon. And if he does want to continue to make them like there, there's no stopping that. Believe me, we have not seen the last of Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore by any way, shape or nope. form. But especially if you're going to write, you're writing some really cool, really good buzz, some great critic reception from this movie. Why not? You just kind of run with it you know there's nobody out there at least like that i know that wants him to go make a grown-ups five but he's just gonna run to that because it's a money maker and i guess it's also one of these things where it's like how much money do you possibly need to have but then that's this whole question about wealth and all this stuff and i don't want to open up some of our political savvy friends here to attack me and everything but uh (laughs) it's, it's a little bit more layered of a thing but in my personal preferences smaller productions go with like just better directors better cast members writers all that stuff which segues way to my next question which would be if you had to pick one director for adam sandler to work with who would it be Oh man, that's a you know what? Um, because he because he's had success with a you know a person who is rooted very deeply into comedy. How about little Michelle Gondry? Dude, can you imagine him in the kidding role? Like if that would have been Adam Sandler instead of Jim That'd Carrey, be very still would have worked. I still would have worked. I mean, I love Jim sure. Carrey in that role, but like it it feels like Michelle Gondry because we you know like there's the comedy and tragedy, right? Like they're so very interrelated um you know i feel like adam sandler could kind could pull off that sort of funny sad kind of thing that michelle gondry hits in a lot of his movies of course dude definitely and i i like i'm telling you i think that's a great choice um using kidding as a sample size he would be he would be phenomenal in it and even casting adam sandler maybe in eternal sunshine i think could have worked as well like him and jim carrey same thing. Yeah, I, I was. I would, like, as soon as I said that, I was like, I wonder what that movie would look like with Adam Sandler. Like, if, giving a, giving a shit, Adam Sandler. I wonder what that movie would look like. Dude, I, I'm seeing something pretty positive here. I'm not gonna lie. It's a, yeah. And, and for mine, like, I um, I am on this hype train right now. Um, I've talked about this movie in this episode. Um, The Lighthouse, this Robert Eggers movie. Mm. I want him to work with Robert Eggers so badly. Um, I don't. Have you seen The Lighthouse yet? I still haven't yet. I, I'm going to for sure. Okay. But I still haven't yet. Okay, it's it's on Amazon right now. Um, I could not recommend this enough. It's like I guess this not to spoil too much of it, but it's like it's it's a horror movie. It's like a dark comedy. Mm-hmm. It's a couple of different things, but the big selling point is exactly like how it was in The Witch was the way the writing is and the language and everything that they speak and stuff. It just all comes together so well. And what Eggers did with Defoe's character in the in the Lighthouse, I want him to do that with Adam Sandler. And it could easily they could easily remake the Lighthouse, but in a different movie. It could be the Warehouse on a remote <laughs> island with two guys. And um, there's just something about 
this movie being like this perfect kind of storm and cocktail. And I view the witch in a similar manner where when I say perfect storm and cocktail, all these really cool elements that I wouldn't necessarily see in a regular movie, especially with that use of like the crazy old English and stuff. Mm. I want that to translate, um, into an Adam Sandler character. And it could be Sandler and Pattinson. It could be Sandler and Benny uh, Safi. I don't care who it is. That's the combination that I'm looking for. And um, I probably do. I can't even tell you. I'll probably end up watching the lighthouse two or three other times this year alone. I think it's a really, really good movie. I, I no, for sure. I got to check it out. Like you, it's it, not only you, I forgot who else is like recommended this movie too. So it's yeah you know, it's one of those things it's like yeah i gotta get on this yeah it's like believe me it's i'm telling you man it took me a while but once i once i had i was gonna go see it in the theater i really was i was actually gonna like fork out the money but it's something happened where i just couldn't get to the theater on the day i wanted to see it um and ever since i found it on uh, ever since i rented it actually I've been all about this movie. I haven't seen anything like it in a while. Um, I, I think you'll really enjoy it, and maybe we'll get into it for a spooky season or something like that. Mm. Maybe that could be a cool, cool little episode Absolutely, to yeah. do. Okay, so just have uh, two more, uh, two more questions total for the rest of the uh, for the rest of the outline, and we're going to revisit the expectations that we talked about in the beginning of the episode. And were your expectations met? Were they succeeded? Not met? What do you think? I, my expectations were exceeded, actually. Like I was. I, you know, I, I was I was prepared for like the the serious Sandler, but I was not prepared for the way the way he fit into the story and how well mm-hmm. he fit into the story and how like engaging it was. I saw I, I saw a bunch of people on uh, Facebook because obviously this again this movie just came out this week on on Netflix. I saw some people on Facebook talking about how stressful it was, and I even I even saw like a BuzzFeed article that like oh Uncut Gems is this mega stressful movie. Um, yeah, I mean I guess it was it was stressful. Um, to to a large degree but uh, you know i think this is i think that we as a culture have had our expectations lowered about certain Mm -hmm. movies because i remember a time i remember a time where like i didn't i really and truly didn't know what was going to happen in a movie and that's kind of what i felt like with this movie i I mean i as we progressed this movie i thought like there's no way sandler there's no way how he survives this there's just like i i can't there aren't doors open there aren't enough open doors for him to get out of this, but like, how is it going to end? Like, I, I really don't know how it's going to end. And in the last like 15 to 20 years in movies, and I think you can blame the superhero movies coming to the forefront. So, so prominently, I know how mm-hmm. all of those movies are going to end and I've never read a comic book. <laughs> right. Of um, course. <laughs> I know exactly what's going to happen. Um, it, it doesn't make them bad or anything. It's just like, those movies have a, those are a formula and they're always going to go a particular way with some, you know, wiggle room here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a, this is the throwback to when you didn't fucking know what was going to happen throughout the course of the yeah. movie. And I fucking love this shit. Stressful, maybe yeah. a little bit puts you in the movie. It's, it's a two hour and 15 minute movie. Fucking breeze through it. Breeze yeah. through it because I felt like I was living it. Yeah, you're in that you are sucked in it the whole time. My expectations were were they were definitely exceeded on that. Um, God, dude, I'm telling you, I I guess I just didn't expect that, and I was and I'm blown away by it. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't be any happier with um with the way that this movie went out. I did have a follow up to what you were going to say. I just it, it was kind of all over the place. It just kind of lost it in oh, my sorry. own head or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, 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 no. It was it was something to kind of go along with what you were saying, but I wasn't quite at actually vocalizing it and now it has entirely escaped me. But um but yeah, dude, like they really 
go all out. You really had no idea like what you were, what you were, what to expect. And I finally am remembering what I was going to say now. And you're right about the superhero movies. And I'm telling you, I'm going to assign some more blame here because not only are the superhero movies like insanely popular, insanely formulaic, I am going to throw a little bit of shade at the internet here. And Spoil- I got to tell culture? you, spoiler, spoiler culture is one element of it. And I guess like this would, this is, yeah. Okay. This is in the umbrella of spoiler culture. Okay. And it's one of these movies or one of these points that I'm going to make where I guess I'm just so sick of how much of it is out there. And this is like one of these main reasons that like I struggle, like, dude, you, you know, I love music and stuff like that. I could talk about music like all fucking day mm-hmm. long and then some, but one of the main reasons that like, I don't go out there and just start like writing about music and it take dude, to believe me, I wrestle with this all the time, like almost like weekly because there's just, you know, I don't know, like whatever I'm going to actually put on paper, I could just kind of talk about with somebody and get that same kind of like satisfaction out of. And I'm not saying that there's no room for my opinion in music. Like I feel that there's room for my opinion in music. There's room for your opinion in anything. You know, there's just, that's just the way it is. There's always room for people's opinions, but I don't know, man. Like I just feel that there's so much of it, no matter how unique my take on a particular album might be, there's always somebody else that's just going to like say the same thing or sort of the same thing. And it's not just like one person. There's thousands of people mm-hmm. that are going to say like sort of like the same thing. And it's not to say that my voice is not unique, but it's just when it comes to actually, you know, putting something out there, I'm just like, oh, what's the point? You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, my pro, my pros might be a little bit better, but it's just not the point. And I also so going circling back around to what I was saying originally is that there's just so much breakdowns of movies. There's so much like, did you miss that one thing? Or uh, yeah. The one mm-hmm. thing from this movie that could have changed everything mm-hmm. or 500 movies that could have uh, not existed without a cell phone. And you read these things and you start to like, look at some of these technical elements of like a story and a movie and stuff. And these are things that while 10 years ago, you and I could have had a discussion about like, man, dude, like, what if in the warriors they just had cell phones, you right. know, wouldn't that have just been like saved everything. Right. But now like, and I'm going to use un- uncut ex- gems for a hypothetical example to make my point is that with this movie, this one movie alone, there could be a million articles that just break down Howard's smile at the end. And there are, I've seen them. Yeah. There's a whole abundance of movie thing. And like, that's just too much. And there's no escaping that whatsoever. Somebody on your Facebook feed or your Twitter feed or Instagram or whatever, they're going to tweet links to these stupid, like maybe not stupid, but like unnecessary or like overkill articles that break down movies from all different kinds of perspectives and stuff. And these eventually like kind of cook like a stew in our mind and it kind of psychologically forces like other perspective that we may not have necessarily had in the past. And, um, with that being said, that factors into a lot of how I view other movies. But with this movie, it was great to like not know what was going to happen. So I was going somewhere with this. Thank you for sticking me with this. <laughs> no Thank problem, you for no sticking problem. through with that. No, no problem. But I, I think I think that's where it comes from. Yeah, no, you're right. Like there's the internet. The internet sort of spoils so much stuff, either intentionally or unintentionally. Um, this also gets into like meme culture. Like you, I I saw so many fucking uh, uh, Endgame memes that like I had no context for them, 
But like, yeah. but as I was, as I, you know, like on Twitter, there were so many fucking memes. I had no context for them. But as I started watching the movie, I'm like, oh, that's what this meant. Oh, that's yeah. what this meant. That's what this meant. Yep. Um, and yep. I'm like, God damn it. Can people just not fucking ruin something for like 10 minutes? I, I, I know. I think yeah. we, I think we were like a week late to Endgame. Correct. Yes. I didn't see it. Uh, or maybe even longer than I that. S- oh God. I saw it. Um, no, I saw it opening weekend. I remember having I to see late. it opening weekend. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I saw it at like, I saw it at like uh, eight o'clock in the morning or something yeah. like that. Dude. Yeah, I, I was, was nuts, I was but... late to it by like eight days or nine days or something when we finally got around to, to, to seeing it or to reviewing it. And like, I sort of had to like purposely, I'm like, all right, don't read too much on Twitter. Don't read too much on Facebook because someone's going to fucking spoil something. And, and so it's it's not just like it's not just the the formula of superhero movies. It's the fact that like the it's the fact that the internet spoils so much shit now, and mm-hmm. because this kind of other than like the Oscar talk for Sandler, um, this kind of flew under the apparently flew under the internet's radar. Otherwise, um, so like nothing was spoiled for me, and it was like it was like thrilling to even though I kind of felt like I knew where it was going. I didn't. It's like going down like that. Um, it's like going down like a that like water slide at the water park that's like enclosed, like yeah, you know you're going down, but like when are, you can't see the turns coming. Yeah, yeah, I that's got you. What it felt yeah, like. yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely got you. And let me tell you, like with this movie flying under the radar, I think it's also a little bit of a testament to internet culture where everybody blows up at the fact that Adam Sandler is doing something serious, but nobody actually comments on the substance uh, of what he's doing. And believe me, exactly. I know that there are a thousand reviews out there, but like you didn't see the level of people blowing up at the actual performance more so than they did at the thought of him being in something serious. Right. You know, you know what, because the movie, like if, if, if this was a shitty movie, then I think there would have been a lot more, there would have been like much more memification of this movie. This is a good gotcha. movie regardless of Sandler's performance. I mean, obviously it's enhanced. It's because of Sandler's great performance in it. This is a good movie. Let's just say you got the, the, the performance from any other actor. It's still a great movie. Mm hmm. Yeah, I got you, dude. I understand. Yeah. I definitely understand what you're saying. So, last question to close it out: Who would you like to see work with the Softy Brothers? Next? I can't believe I struggled to pronounce that last name so many times. Because I guess I'm just hearing Sadafi. I don't know why. For some reason, I've heard it pronounced Sadafi, which is wrong. But um, or maybe that's just how I see it in my mind. But I've struggled to pronounce that all the freaking episode. It's all right. <laughs> so it is American. Who, who's working with them? Extremely Jewish name. So yeah, um, I, yes, extremely Jewish name. But anyway, um, since you didn't put any parameters on this i'm i'm gonna go to the way back machine and I'm okay gonna t- i would like to see prime jack nicholson with the Ooh. Southie brothers i like oh, i actually think that if you got like 40 45 50 year old jack nicholson in this role as as howie it would be cranked up to fucking 12 this movie would be insane Ooh. yeah oh man that is Ooh, that's a really, really fucking good one, dude. That's a really, really, really Prime good Jack choice. Prime Jack would man. be would be unreal. And I'll just I'll just throw in one more here, real quickly. I wanted to wanted to be fair and even here, to get, and also get like someone a little bit more modern, because uh, we've seen mm-hmm. her, we've seen her do we've seen her do uh, indie films and stuff before. Uh, Charlie Theron, I think, would be a very interesting pick for the next Softy Brothers uh, uh, joint. Oh, definitely, dude. I fucking love Charlotte. You cannot go wrong with Charlotte she, whatsoever. She is, is she maybe the best actor, actress, period? I mean, she does everything. Yeah, dude, I'm telling you, like, she's fucking great, man. And, like, I watched Fury Road again last week. I fucking, she's definitely great. And even in Atomic Blonde, she was fantastic. Yeah. Which, for the action movie and stuff, like, Charlotte, there's nothing that Charlize cannot do. Definitely cannot do. She was hilarious and, in Arrested Development. 
Oh yeah! Oh yeah! That's right. She's hilarious in Arrested Development. Ness and I reference that fucking movie all the goddamn time, and like I totally forgot that that character all the time and the mm-hmm. show all the time, and I totally forgot that she was a part of it and everything. So, okay, so I'm going with um this guy. I'm going to get this up really quick because I just wrapped up with this show on HBO that was very very good called The Plot Against America, mm-hmm. and I want um the two leads which are Zoe Kazan and Morgan Spector who was translucent on The Boys. Oh, okay. These two. These two are fucking fantastic on this show. And believe me, like if you this show is definitely speaking to the times of America today, like not going to lie, the terminology and what's going on in the world is very, very mirroring what's going on in our own political climate. But these guys, number one, worked really, really well as a couple. And I keep forgetting that Zoe Kanzan was um, in the the big C movie, the movie with Camille Nanjani and everything like the big sick, like the big uh, sick, yeah. She, yeah, so I, I'm all on, like, I literally just watched, stopped watching this, like, a couple nights ago. Um, I thought they were really good in it, and just because of the timing and the way everything lined up, those are the two that I'm putting together for the answer. And this guy, Morgan Spector, who was translucent on The Boys, and he was the, the, the male lead on this show, there is just something about this guy presence-wise and, like, the tone of his voice, and he just has this really cool kind of look to him, and, like, considering um, he, I believe he is... Um, Jewish, I could be wrong on that, but he he has the look. He played everything really well, and it's just all right in line for what um, the Safdie brothers are going for. So those are my those are my two picks for um, for the future Safdie brothers projects. I I'm you know I'm actually curious to see more of Morgan Spector because uh, like I I only know him from the boys at this point. I know it's weird. I know exactly who Zoe Kazan is, but like I can't like recall her in anything. Yeah, she's just you know like I'm telling you I completely overlooked the big sick until I started doing IMDb research on her until after, or after I watched the uh, plot against America. Right. And, and she's great. Dude. Like the plot against America is only six episodes or about an hour, maybe a little over an hour. And some of them it's by David Simon, the guy who did the wire. And mm-hmm. it's like, in a way, if you, I can understand how people might say like, Oh my God, this is just kind of like one of these, you know, if, if one were to interpret this as being an anti-Trump, TV show, I could totally understand that sure. because only because it mirrors what is going on in this country so well. And they even hit on some of the subliminal stuff and some of the things that maybe even like the newspapers don't report on all that often. But um, I thought the show was really good. So I highly recommend checking it out. All right, for sure. For sure. Sweet. So, yeah, so that uh, that brings us to the uh, conclusion of the uh, of the outline and everything. Did you have anything else to uh, to add to the discussion? No, just uh this this was uh, I I'm I'm so glad we did this movie uh, our, our wrap up for movie May even though it's going to be airing in June but it's fine it, we we recorded it we recorded it in May so it counts um, yeah like I just really pleased that we did this movie really pleased that um, really pleased that like like I said before my expectations were exceeded um, and regardless of you know want I now I want to see what you know besides this fucking Hubie Halloween I do want to see what Sandler has next. Um, probably more so. I'm really curious to see what the Softy brothers have on deck because, uh, mm-hmm. they definitely, it sounds like they have a very particular brand. Um, and it's a brand that I like, so I, I, I want more of it. Yeah, you bet, dude. I'm interested to see what they have in store for the future. Adam Sandler, like I said, do not answer the phone when Kevin and James calls. So that's, that's all I got. And do you want to lead us out of here? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, once again, this is, uh, this is Matt Pagel for Adam Chemilewski. Wrapping up our annual movie May, our our month of movies, 
definitely a pleasure. You can find us uh, on all the socials. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at uh, Polish Kaiju, at Citizen Pegs. Uh, check us out there. Download this. Stream this. Uh, I have to do some surgery on the Spotify app, uh, the Spotify stream, because for some reason it stopped working. But you can still find us on iTunes. Uh, you can find us on Google Play. You can find us on Podbean. We're all over the place. Uh, otherwise, so so find us there. We are the Occasionalists. And once again, thanks for checking us out. Uh, peace. Y'all be good out there. See you next time.